0: All right, another week in the books and another episode of the Mariners Week that was. A week of interviews and baseball conversations on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Shannon Dreyer here putting it all together for you. In addition to the discussions from the shows that we featured this week, we'll have interviews with Jerry Depoto, Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com, Ryan Divish, and a great extended in-studio appearance from John Morosi. Let's get to it. Monday, the talk was dominated mostly by Jimmy Lake and Odell Beckham Jr. But Mike Lefko and the Graz sitting in for Wyman and Bob. Mike and Graz, Wyman and Bob, yeah, that works, had a baseball topic on their mind.
1: Last night, and I don't know if they were trying to like make it as a news dump or be the biggest secret in, uh, in all of sports, but Major League Baseball in the middle of Sunday night football, just on a Sunday night, they casually tweet out all the gold glove winners. There was no announcement, no preamble, no TV show kind of announcing the awards or televising them. All of a sudden, just here they were. All the Glo- gold glove winners announced, and of course, Carlos Correa wins over J.P. Crawford. So we have some consternation there. But MLB, I mean, what are they doing here? They, they have done this before, Graz, where last year, I don't know if it's tone deaf or they just think that they have such a hold over the American public that they don't. Last year, they announced the Gold Glove Awards in the middle of the election. On the night of the presidential election, they said, you know what? This is a good time to announce who won the Gold Glove.
2: Well, uh, all right, I'll play devil's advocate to a degree. I don't know that the Gold Glove announcement has ever been something they ever did a television show about or was ever necessarily a big, huge deal. That having been said, yeah, I mean, especially on a Sunday night, I mean, it does not make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to do it on election night either. I can see it not not being the biggest news of all, but but I don't know why you wouldn't do it during the day, especially in this era of sports radio now, where we get a lot of talk. So, uh, I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't think it makes makes sense. It, it it's you know baseball is has not done things right for a long long time, and um, you know it continues. I, I saw a stat where. Actually, games this year were the longest they've ever been. The average nine-inning game was longer than it's ever been, considering all the stuff they did to try and make the games go quicker. It didn't work. None of it worked. And games we know in, in the postseason are are absurd. They're they're, they're approaching four hours for nine-inning games for crying out loud. So, you know, baseball still baseball it it, it doesn't it doesn't do a lot of things right. And this is certainly not one of them, though. Uh, this isn't the biggest deal in the world. It's still curious they do it on a Sunday night for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you're baseball, you need to try to market your product better. Because sure. Of this, because everything you mentioned about long game times, about waning interest in the sport, kids who now want to play football or soccer or basketball, who do not grow up loving baseball and making baseball their preferred choice like a lot of us did. So they need to find a way To put these things on television or get them out in the middle of the day where people can talk about
2: them, Mike. A point I made with Bob, I think a, a couple months ago, was was that here baseball's got a star that's that that's that's doing things that haven't been done since Babe Ruth played, and he's from Japan. He's international. And yet, you know, for the most part, leading up to the All-Star Game, you know, Shohei Ohtani was was being—it's like he was a castle secret or something like that. I mean, they have been potential the most globally marketable player in any sport, and it doesn't seem like they're doing it. So, I mean, they they fumble the big things as well as the little ones. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, they really do, and they're just—I mean, we continue to harp on this, but I think it's just worth noting that the way they do all this stuff, and I, I think there's. Legitimate interest in these things. We've seen how NFL awards are are televised and people care because it's something to watch and to talk about, but MLB draws it out so long.
2: NFL's different. I mean NFL's different. I mean, we can't compare anything that the NFL does to any other sport. Their ratings dwarf everything. I don't I don't necessarily mind them dragging things out. You think they should do one big show with all the awards? Uh
1: to yes, to some extent That's I think an you could build thought. big questions or uh, build big interest around that. You could also get a lot of people on board for one set day, but they just stagger it so long. I mean the season it feels like it ended uh, a few weeks ago. I know it just ended, but the MVP The MVP award is handed out November 18th. We still have 10 days. By then, I will have forgotten who even played in the season.
2: I'll say this much. I, I would think that baseball would be better suited to pay more attention to their award show than their draft. Mm -hmm. Trying to make a big deal out of the baseball draft is a waste of time, and it's going to be a waste of time. You know, you're never going to have anyone but the most dedicated, super dedicated of fans who who somehow looked at video of high school players all, all over the country and all over the world playing to have any idea if teams are drafting well. It's not going to be like the NFL draft or the NBA draft or even the NHL draft. It's never going to be that in baseball. It's a waste of time in my book to make the baseball draft, try and make it a big deal. Whereas I think you'd much, much more make the MVP, the the awards like that, uh, definitely potential there to be a bigger deal than it is.
1: Yeah, I think you have a lot of interest coming off a season, especially like this one. Not just for Mariners fans, but for fans across baseball where you saw a lot of new teams get into the mix and have – contending teams down the stretch. So uh, a big core of Mariners fans, I'm sure, if you had these awards you know, a week or two weeks later and you put them all together, I would be very interested in watching to see, all right, who wins the gold gloves? Does Scott Service win manager of the year? Does so-and-so win rookie of the year? But now you have to get, keep checking a calendar to figure out when these things are. They're every other day. You don't know when they are. So maybe put it all together, try it out, and and like you said, put less resources into televising the draft hype up this award show and maybe this keeps interest going throughout the
2: offseason hype up the players the people yes. know not the ones they don't know
0: i'm not sure if i agree with turning the spotlight completely away from the draft but i love the idea of perhaps an espys style show at the end of the year get everybody in one place maybe do the red carpet thing that you see at the all-star game everybody dresses up have some other entertainment on there i don't think that would be a bad idea at all To Tuesday we go. The GM meeting's in full swing in Carlsbad, California. And Mariners News, or not news, as Mike Salk points out, getting more attention. Of more use, perhaps, than the national reports, numerous publications came out this week with contract estimates for the top free agents. Salk attempts to break it all down, with Justin Barnes taking things in a different direction, looking at the prize free agents as exotic cars.
3: Uh, Let me read you a couple of tweets from John Morosi. One, sources... Marcus Semien is one of the many free agents under consideration by the Mariners early in the offseason. Semien, 31, is believed to prefer West Coast clubs and has experience in the AL West. The Mariners already, already have shown sincere interest. Good. Second one. While Semyon's receiving interest at shortstop, the Mariners are intrigued by his experience at second base in Toronto. Their current plan is for J.P. Crawford to remain at shortstop. John Heyman reported today Seattle is expected to be a big spender. Oh, really? John Heyman reported that? A guy who consistently torches the Mariners? And I can't imagine there's one member of this front office who ever speaks to John Heyman, but that's beside the point. Let's be clear how John Heyman wrote anything. Scott Boris told him. If John Heyman is writing that the Mariners are increasing their payroll and going to be a big spender, it's because Scott Boris told him. Also, that's not news. This has been said a million times. So I'm glad John Heyman has finally gotten the message there in New York that the Mariners are going to spend It takes a while to get all that on the way. If he ever looked beyond the tri-state area, maybe he might see something like that. Regardless, what is it going to cost to get Marcus Semyon? Here's the, uh, here's the estimate. So, Kylie McDaniel on ESPN had his free agent contract estimates, and he went through, like, the top 50 in terms of who was going to get what. So, by comparison, Carlos Correa was number one, nine years, 297, at or $33 million a year. He has Seager, Corey Seager at seven years, 210, a $30 million a year. Trevor Story is next, five years, 115, so that's 23 a year, and then he slots in Marcus Semien. Five years, $110 million, 22 a year. You buying that? You get him until he's 36. What was the first? Read Correa's again because you went really quick. Sorry, it was nine years, 297. So 33 a year. 297. It's really sort of hard to fathom. $33 million a year for nine years. But Semyon would be, you know, a a reasonable 22 a year, five years, 110 million to be your second baseman. You in? Yes. Your other option here, I know you've liked Javi Baez. Yeah. He thinks Baez is a bit of a risk, only gets a one year deal. He has him at one-year, $25 million. Oh, not that. Yeah, Not for that. The teams are not going to be willing to spend big on him, not going to trust. They, he sees uh, that teams believe Baez is one of those guys who when his physical skills start to erode, he's just going to be a free swinger missing 40% of the time, and that that's kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. And that's why you don't, you don't want to be the one stuck holding the bag when Javi Baez gets bad,
4: which he thinks is going to happen. Uh, that's a big what if. I still think he's produced enough. Not twenty. What 25? twenty five? Something like that. No, uh, I don't have his age. Twenty three. No, 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 no. no the money. The oh, twenty five million. No, no, not for that. All right, that's too much for you. That's too much for me for bias. Yeah. So who do you? So how do you? How do you kind of look at these guys, Justin? Like who, I, do, I keep thinking about it, and uh, they all. It's like you're going exotic car shopping. <laughs> like, that's all they are. Jerry is currently at like the exotic. Yeah, I mean, we've all done it. We've all go over to Bellevue and check out the Jags, right? He is at the 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 dealership right now. Looking at all of these exotic cars and deciding what he wants to put in the stable. Okay. So, Semyon is the Dodge Hellcat. Or maybe the Dodge Demon, but I'm going to go with the Dodge Hellcat. You, that that's Locus, a made-up thing. The Dodge a real, Hellcat's a real car. The, is that a real car? Production car, super high horsepower. The Hellcat. The Hellcat. Is that like a souped-up Charger? Like, I know what a challenger. Dodge Charger is. or it's a, a challenger. challenger. Oh, it's a Challenger. Yeah, it's the Hellcat's the motor.
3: Oh, well, why don't you just say it's a Dodge
4: Challenger? Because you, you got to say the Hellcat. But it's the not. Hellcat's it's the a motor. Challenger. It's the Hellcat. Ch- okay. It's the Hellcat, but they're still, they're, they're still crazy expensive. They're still close to like $100,000. I buy looked up the Hellcat,
3: Dodge Hellcat, and the first thing that comes up is a minivan.
4: <laughs> what? The Dodge Hellcat minivan. <laughs> I don't know what movie you're looking up. That's I not Googled a, Dodge Hellcat, and the
3: first thing that came down was minivan.
4: I got to look and see what you just found. No, you'll look
3: it up later. All right, what else do you have? <laughs>
4: Uh, so I want the Challenger Hellcats. Okay, so that's that's Semyon. He it, it, they're super high horsepower, okay. but they can still be a daily driver. So it's a very powerful thing, but yep. it's still realistic. I get that. It's a, it's a modern muscle car. Comp works. Correa is the Lamborghini. Yes, super flashy, stupid fast, stupid expensive. Every category is maxed out. And in the shop too much. Yeah. Yes. Uh, super high maintenance costs. Yes. Mostly unattainable for everybody, <laughs> except probably the Yankees. It's the true supercar that wants attention. That's Correa. Perfect. He's that he's a lambo yes uh i think like baez is is not far off of that less flashy he's the ferrari still demands attention super super high maintenance costs make him very difficult to own of course <laughs> uh crazy top speeds turns all the heads definitely not one that's gonna probably gonna last as long not, okay. the, not that a lamb what's Corey has, seager neither. on your list Corey seager is the the new ford gt <laughs> you should look up the ford gt <laughs> Uh, it's not quite as powerful maybe as the Hellcat. Uh-huh. It still competes in every category. It's no nonsense muscle great pedigree recognition is there for the Ford brand and the Ford name, but not the biggest not as powerful as maybe the Hellcat. I don't know I, I think you might I think you might be selling Corey Seeger a little short on that one. I mean uh, he's, I mean he's... he's probably
3: the second best player here. I mean, he,
4: uh, yeah, I just don't think he's—he doesn't strike me as like the like a McLaren or anything like that. No, so. he's not exotic. No, he's not exotic. That's, that's why true. I went with the Ford GT. Who is who's exotic on this list? Um, Chris Bryant. Who's your exotic player? I didn't really think about Chris Bryant too much. Okay. I still. Trevor's story is is slightly less. He's like a Porsche nine 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 eleven, probably. Yeah, probably he has. Is that he's, he's literally broken? I think that that's the
3: fear. There is that like. Is there a car that like like handles really well in specific situations but you're worried if you take it into another like type of road condition that it won't handle well? Sure. Does that he's make be, sense? Yeah, dozens of those. He's yeah, A lot of those modern cars. And I think that's the fear. It's like, yeah, all right, he's done all that at Course Field. What does he do away from cores? Can he handle in adverse conditions? And by the way, now his arm and elbow aren't what they used to be. Sure, I think there's yeah. some real concerns
4: there. That's why he's a Porsche 911. He's not not quite as expensive as the other supercars. not a high-end luxury design or the okay. same status symbol, but he's still <laughs> just as competitive. He's still worthy. Jared okay. Kellnick's the Hellcat truck, if we're really going to get into what we Oh, you can get a Hellcat have. truck, but you can not get, a you minivan? You can get the, the Hellcat in the truck. I yeah. got
3: images right here of a Chrysler Pacifica SRT Hellcat. <laughs> it's from uh, M-O-P-A-R, Mopars. Insiders. Mopar, M-O-P-A-R Insiders.
4: Mopar Insiders. Come on. Uh-
3: Do you think I made up Mopar Insiders? Maybe I have
4: completely missed the Hellcat minivan. Yeah,
5: look at it. It's
4: it's quite the minivan. It looks like it could go, you know, 60 miles an hour if you need it to. Hanegers, you know, the high country Chevy Silverado. (laughs) He's the 2500 Those things are like eighty grand with all the high country options. I
3: don't really have any idea what you're talking about, but we're going to have to move on. We'll talk to Shannon coming up at 9 o'clock and talk a little bit more. Mariners.
0: Okay, for the record, I know what a Dodge Hellcat is. Come on, Salk. Moving along. A little later on Need to Know, a quick rundown of the day's baseball news, including Scott Service being announced as a Manager of the Year finalist.
6: the third thing you need
5: to know.
3: Congratulations in order to Mariners manager Scott Service, named as the finalist for the American League Manager of the Year Award, Dusty Baker of the Astros and the race, Kevin Cash, are the others who were announced. Cash may have the best odds of winning, but my vote would definitely be for Scott. In a year where his team was unlikely to compete and didn't really even have the roster to do so, he made it happen. He dealt with the Kevin Mathers situation and brought the team closer together. He dealt with the Graveman trade and kept winning. He used his bullpen nearly perfectly... Deploying the right guys at the right times and without sticking to the limitations of any sort of a traditional closer setup, Paul Sewald certainly was a fan.
7: Twitter, they had an AL, or AL manager of the year poll uh, somewhere maybe a couple months ago and, you know, his name wasn't even thrown out there and I just, I had to write. I was like, ahem, uh, Scott Service has been fantastic. I don't know if anyone watches Mariners games, but they should.
3: They certainly should.
0: Jake and Stacey with a little bit of a different take on the manager of the year field. Extra, extra,
8: read all about it. Headline
7: Rewrites. Presented by Tila Mortgage. The real story behind the headlines in
9: today's news with Jake and Stacy. <laughs> Headline number one, the Mariners' skipper Scott Service was named a finalist for AL Manager of the Year Award. What's the real headline?
8: Congratulations to Dusty Baker for his heroic effort to take a team with a $194 million payroll and four All-Stars to the playoffs.
9: You really did it, Dusty. <laughs> you
8: really did it. Congra- wow. just, just an early wow. congratulations to wh- who we all know will win this award. What and I love job. Dusty Baker. But, you what know, I actually, job. you know how sometimes you'll get magazines and they'll have, like, a headline on both sides? Right. You the flip whole it over? was against this one's the same thing. The it's odds. weird. You flip it over. There's another Incredible. headline for another potential winner. Congratulations to Kevin Cash, who valiantly led a team that was projected to win the AL East to winning the AL East.
6: You met expectations.
8: Wow. Oh you
9: Congratulations
8: did it. to both of those guys for, for a potential future win there.
6: Oh, wow. I mean, hats off to those two just an incredible job incredible I mean, look, job kevin cash to me actually what he did with the rays is very impressive to me by the way i i i still will i'm not discounting anything that kevin cash did but i mean that headline says it all we all know who the real al manager of the year is and that is our very own scott service it is not even close i would love to see what these two do with the Seattle Mariners and everything that they had to deal with, starting with not even before the season started, the whole debacle with Kevin Mather, having to keep the clubhouse together, having to figure out how you're going to produce offense, uh, manage the games all the way through this season. I mean, it's been spectacular. It's been a great job by Scott Service, and now you have, through a rebuilding process, developed a winning culture, a winning mindset. you got, you got... Everyone in that clubhouse buying into what Scott Service is selling. And that, to me, is a very, very exciting thing as they're heading into free agency and are only going to add, to me, Scott Service had the hardest job, and he delivered with, with the greatest results. And in football, I believe they get it right. Most of the time, the The coach that wins the coach of the year is someone who turned things around from bottom to top. And if you're going to apply those same type of rules and have that same mindset Scott Service wins this by a long shot but that's not how obviously they they do it in in major league baseball Well
8: sometimes the AL manager of the year for for uh Either league is the guy that kind of did the most with the least. But the problem is that people are going to try to make those arguments for both the Rays uh, and for obviously the Astros, who ended up getting to the World Series. But both of those teams were facing high expectations. Maybe they weren't projected to win a World Series or get to a World Series. I think uh, the Dodgers and Padres were, were easy betting favorites before the season started, but they still did a lot with a lot. Uh, whereas Scott Service uh, did a lot with less. And that's not a slight to anyone on this team, but I think it was obvious when you're looking at pretty much every single offensive statistic to see where the Astros are leading, throw the Blue Jays in there, uh, and and to see the Mariners still trailing there as far as weapons, uh, but also playing really well. And Curtis, I mean, you talk about uh, the things that obviously a manager has to do day to day. How about bullpen management?
9: Boy, how about it? I mean, The Mariners have the best bullpen in the Bigs. And a lot of that had to do with the buttons that Scott Service was pressing down there, getting the guys in the right situations, riding the hot hand, and putting, you know, Paul Seawald, who emerged as the best reliever that they had, putting him in positions to where, you know, he was only pitching high leverage spots against the best hitters on each team and and was succeeding more often than not. I mean a testament to Scott Service's ability to manage a bullpen right there, and as we know, without that bullpen, the Mariners would not have won ninety games they might have they might not have even won eighty
6: games last year.
0: a good amount of baseball talk that day on Jake and Stacy, and the two with a different outlook on the mariners off season
6: who that is the question right i, I stacy uh you. Are preparing yourself that the Mariners make like one splash move and then they're done?
8: No, I am telling myself that they make
6: a bunch of smaller moves, but that's that's about I it. I am
8: telling myself the Mariners will not get any of the top shortstops, uh, and that they uh, will not, I don't think, get any of the like premier, like, uh, you know, Kevin Gosman. You, why are you looking at me? Because you're you're assuming they absolutely will have some big names in there.
6: No, I, I just Stacy Debbie Downer over here.
9: I'm not a I mean, Debbie Downer, or just, Robbie Ray.
6: Sullen Stacy. No, yeah. no, morbid no, Stacey
8: no. That's here. not. We get I am. No, back? no, that's not what's happening. I am just death lowering. Is inevitable. D- d- for I am. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I say 4 that. Absolutely, you're going to get Stacy no. to say
6: no. the Mariners are going to spend just like death. You know, it's going to happen. Oh, okay. It's inevitable. All
8: that I'm doing is emotionally (laughs) doling myself. Okay. I recommend it. It helps you get through life. You just emotionally (sighs) dole yourself, dole your emotions, and then nothing can hurt you, Jake.
6: I mean, sure. Yeah. Are you going to go through life and, but you're not going to enjoy it to its fullest. And for me, I love to believe. I love to see what is out in front of, uh, the Mariners right now, which is opportunity to legitimately upgrade, and they 've got the money to do it they 've got the money to compete with the big dogs for a lot of these other top uh, free agents here and you're going to have to overspend Scott service on our show before he parted ways with us and never had to talk to us again weekly in the off season, which i'm sure he misses us greatly, but he he said look we 're going to have to overspend for these guys, just simple fact of the matter, and we 'll see." how many we can actually land and how many we can get. But the other part is, is it's got to be a great fit for us. It's not just going out there and spending the money. It is, are they the right fit? Is it the right player? Are they going to fit into what we want to do here and what we have built here uh, with this organization? And so I, I believe that there is multiple guys that can fit what they want to do. Chris Bryant's one that to me is kind of shooting for the moon. Marcus Simeon is my number one target that I would love to see here in Seattle. Um But I I do believe that they will get aggressive in the fact that you hear this from John Morosi, you hear this from John Heyman. I don't think it's by accident. I believe the Mariners are trying to send those signals out there to everybody saying, hey, we're in this thing and we're going to be aggressive and we're going to make moves and uh, watch out for us.
0: This is a good place to drop some sound from the Talking Mariners podcast. Now, boy, howdy. He was out this week, so Gary Hill joined me for an hour-long conversation. I want to let you know this talk is pretty much like any conversation we would have in the booth before games, after games, in the hallways, between innings. Uh, We are always talking baseball, and it's the entire broadcast crew that does so. But, you know, Gary brings something a little bit different in uh, the research that he does, the thought that he puts into things. Uh, It's just really great to have his insight. On the podcast, he did include names of players we could see via trade or signing, but then really went further into depth about strategy. How could things get done? Here's a snippet of that conversation with Gary dropping a little dose of reality.
10: Think about the shortstop class, shortstop slash second base slash third base, however you want to clarify it. And when you think about those top five names that are in the mix, I count a dozen teams going for those five. This is a competitive environment. And it's going to be competitive, whether you're talking infielders, outfielders, or pitchers. And there's also, yeah, the Mariners have a lot of resources. I think we know that. We don't know exactly what the numbers are, but you can't uh, go out and get Correa, Scherzer. You know, you just it, this is not just not possible. So you have to be strategic with who you're going after, and which to me makes it really intriguing. And what. I think is most exciting about the off season for the Mariners this year is they can have a successful off season in a number of different ways. I don't think they have to get a certain guy to make it a successful off season. I think it's like a Rubik's Cube and no Yeah, Rubik's Cube. You can twist it around to get to get where you need to go.
0: Everybody in the infield move one spot over and the odd guy out goes to left. They have (laughs) some
10: flexibility. There there are a lot of names we'll talk about, and I'm sure we'll talk about them here. Right. But I don't think, like, Marcus Simeon is probably my number one guy that I would love to see them get. But there are different ways to make their offseason happen without getting Marcus Simeon. There's enough targets out there to make it work and make a successful offseason.
0: One thing that I think that is worth mentioning right now, and I think is getting missed by many, and we just talked about this a few minutes ago when we were waiting to to tape this, uh, there are a lot more players in this than I think people realize. Mm -hmm. I think uh, a lot of people are kind of thinking and hoping that uh, it's now the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Dodgers, and the Mariners. And it's not. There are a lot. and, And Jerry Depoto actually on the Mike Salk show this morning acknowledged that there are more teams that are in a position to do what they are trying to do right now. And he thinks that's yep. actually sped things up. But that list has some pro- some surprise entrants on it that actually could do a little bit of damage and certainly be competition.
10: Yeah, when we look at all the names being thrown around, there's no guarantees with anything with the number of teams involved. I think there are a dozen teams that are competitive for the top of the market. And the Texas Rangers, a great example. We just saw the news yesterday that they— apparently are willing to throw out $100 million this off season. So what does that look like? So this is going to be a very competitive field for the top of the market because the other thing you have to think about for the teams like the Astros who potentially could lose Correa, well, they're going to be in the market for somebody. They're going to have to replace Correa with somebody. So who do they go after? So it's kind of a domino effect uh, depending on how things shake out. And. It's interesting. I'm very curious to see what happens with Texas, for example, because I've been curious if a team would take on an experiment. Because Texas, a team that won 60 games last year, and they have a lot of holes to fill. And when I see a number like $100 million, this is probably not a team that's going to sign like Scherzer and Correa, right? But what if they just dipped into the secondary market and signed? five or six different, I think about Eduardo Eduardo Escobar, right? Mm -hmm. Really good player. 33, Sign him for a couple of years, high dollar value, low years. But what if they did that with five or six guys? They could change their team overnight. I've been waiting for a team to try this experiment. You know, we saw the Colton Wongs, Taiwan Walkers of the world last year who signed for short years. Not a lot of they were in that just that middle tier market what if texas went out and spent a bunch on guys like that i think it's pretty, it would be a very interesting experiment to watch if they did that
0: i don't know if there's enough pitching out there for that to work
10: <laughs> i don't think there's no not at all i mean pitching it's it's a whole when we're talking about the free agent market pitching and offense it's a completely different conversation
0: where are the mariners going to get their pitchers
10: <laughs> this this is a great question
0: The entire podcast can be found on the podcast page of 710sports.com under the hot stove category. Back to the airwaves we go. Wednesday morning on the Jerry Depoto show, which ran a day early because Depoto had to travel on Thursday, a huge kudos goes out to Mike Salk, who, if not confirmed targets, definitely got some names out of the Mariners' general manager.
3: And we do have Jerry. I was speculating on what you might be doing, meeting with Boris, conversations with other GMs. How's it going down there?
11: Uh, pretty good, I actually. Was drinking coffee, just telling stories with yeah. uh, <laughs> with Dayton Moore, which is uh, part of the fun of the GM meeting, just like the social aspect of it.
3: I was going to say, who do you hang out with there? Like, who who are some of your friends that you end up hanging with when you're at an event like that?
11: I, I, I tend to be a little bit of the, the pop around, visit with a lot of groups, but you know, Thad Levine, the GM in Minnesota, is a is a good friend, and I spend a lot of time with Thad. Uh, do tend to spend a, little, a fair bit of time with Dayton Moore, uh, with the guys from the A's, Dave Forbes, Billy Bean, uh, who we've been around for a lot of years, Farhan Zaidi with the Giants. Are they're typically the people I spend most of the time with? Is
3: it easier or harder to make a deal with somebody you're friendly with?
11: I I think it's easier, and you know, for me, I, I, one of the things that that is a, a carrying tool as a as I've gone through the years is I. I'm, I'm fairly candid as you found out, and I think that makes you know the mariners a little bit uh, easier to deal with because it's not you know seven or eight you know, conversations that are, that last five minutes in speed dating. We sit down for fifteen minutes and you have a pretty good idea of what we're trying to achieve and, and, and what we're willing to do, who we're willing to move, or how far we're willing to go on a contract.
3: What have you been more active with so far? trade talks or free agent talks?
11: Uh, a little bit of both. You know, we, we've sat down with a handful of teams and then we have a few more on the schedule today. Uh, we've also met with the, what I would call the, you know, our the agent the, the or representation for, you know, the players that we've cited as the best fits for us. So uh, and we have a couple of more of them lined up between now and, and tomorrow morning as well.
3: Uh, We've heard the name Marcus Simeon quite a bit uh, as a free agent, and and the Mariners have been linked to him. He's obviously one of the top free agents in the class this year as an MVP candidate, MVP finalist. What is it that you like about Simeon? What do you like about his game?
11: Uh, Roughly everything. He does everything well. And, you know, in addition to being an incredibly well-rounded player... You know, gold glove defender he can play both second and short there's really no reason he can't play any position on the field because he's athletic enough to do it great base runner real power you know and he's in and he swings at the right pitches and, and you put those things together with good makeup and what I would say is extremely high intellect uh, there's it, it's the it, it, there's a lot of reasons to, to like Marcus Semien. Kind of a late
3: bloomer, right? I mean, I mean, he's had he was always a good player, but it seems like he really grew into being a great player in the last few years.
11: Yeah, I, there's no doubt. I, two of the last three years, and I don't know where it will land for him this year. But he's been one of the best players in the American League uh, in two of the last three years, and and you know, doing it for playoff teams or contending teams in Oakland and, and Toronto. But I, I've had a chance to watch, you know, Marcus since he was at Cal as, as a college player, and and he has. He he was so athletic, and you just felt like there was, there was so much more he was capable of. And, and I don't know if I would call it uh, late blooming. In, in the same way that I look at J.P. Crawford, you know, it's a it it's sometimes development takes a little more time than you think. And you know, it, it that once once opportunity is given to those guys who have that yes. that kind of broad based Skill set. that good things tend to happen if you just give them the reps.
3: Of the of the free agents that are out there this year, I, I'm talking, I guess, specifically on the hitting side, but I guess it could be either. Who, who controls the zone best in, in your sort of control the zone uh, world? Who is who? Who embodies
11: that? There's there's a number of them. You know, there, there's I, I think the, the obvious guy that jumps to mind among the current free agents is Mark Hanna, who. Has always been a a good zone dominator. Swings at the right pitches, extends at bats, draws a high walk rate. You know, limits the punch outs. Uh, Which are which are the different? You know, I guess base traits you're looking for. Uh, Michael Conforto is another guy who can really control the strike zone. And uh, uh, there's there's a lot of them on this free agent market. It is a it's a good time to be Freddie Freeman. Obviously, (laughs) Uh, it's a good time to to be a, a a, a buyer in mm-hmm. an offensive state in this market.
3: On the other side of it, and I think we talked about this years ago. You know, your your mindset as it comes to free agent pitchers. What is the concern level for guys who've reached free agency and are you know of an age to have reached free agency and are looking for big contracts as a pitcher?
11: I mean, with pitchers, you always have to balance the the upside the the consistency and then the obvious risk associated with injury and you know the one thing i i am living proof of is that as you age injury becomes you know a, a bigger factor particularly for the pitchers but you know one of the things that that i've i've learned through the years is if you if you try to manage the risk too much uh, you won't be bold enough to make decisions that can make a difference so you do have to embrace some risk, and I think that's more true when you're talking about the pitchers than it is with the, the position players, who are historically a little bit more stable, even at that that stage in their career.
3: Is it seem like an active market? I mean, uh, we're hearing some of these rumors coming out that the Rangers want to spend $100 million and the Angels are doing this. It It seems like it must be pretty active there.
11: It is. I mean, it's it, it's hard to be to, to be more active than the Mariners, but I, but I feel like we're, <laughs> we're we're in the middle of the pack. It's it's been a very quick start to to the the natural off season and you know, postseason's wrapped up. You got a lot of teams here. It's the first time that we've all seen each other face to face since you know 2019, really, uh, as a as a group, and that includes the player reps and and the the various the thirty. The clubs and the league you know the the officials from mlb so uh pretty exciting first couple of days i do sense that it's moving pretty quickly and and there are a lot of teams that, that came in here with some payroll flexibility and, and big plans
3: do you think you could get something done while you're there i mean could we see really either an early signing or an early trade or or is this just laying the groundwork for later in the offseason
11: I think it's probably more laying the groundwork, and and generally the the likelihood is you, know, you might come up. Actually, the 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 space I'm walking right now on the the lawn outside the the main building is is where we did the Mike Zanino trade back in 2018 at the same spot, and you know probably a hundred feet from the table where we laid the groundwork to do the, the Cano Diaz Kelnick trade. So. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's been uh, these are these are places where you can get a trade done quickly with the free agents. You're probably uh, you're probably laying the groundwork more than you are completing a deal
3: uh, before we let you go. And I know you're busy and, and have a lot to do and a lot more people to talk to. I got to spend a moment or two on Scott Service being named a finalist as the manager of the year. You know, what was your reaction when you saw that?
11: Uh, I don't know if you saw my quote in our press release, but that's genuinely how I feel is that I cannot imagine that anybody deserved it more. And, you know, and while I know there were teams and, you know, Kevin Cash had a wonderful year and, and it's tough to shoot holes in what he's done. And Dusty Baker's had a hall of fame resume. You know, but if, if like with the MVP discussion, when you talk about who did the most to to propel a team forward, I don't know how you could look at the the results that we achieved and not think that Scott was the best manager in our league. Uh, The decisions that he made all year long, particularly with how we used our pitching uh, and really keeping a group together through, you know, some early adversity and, and then watching a young team flourish at the end. I, it's it was a storybook season, and, and I hope it's something. I know it's something he's proud of, and I hope it's something that everybody else recognizes because he deserves it.
3: Well, it's cool. I, I really hope he wins. I think we all agree with you here in Seattle, and uh, that'd be pretty awesome. You, do you like the, You like the GM meetings? This is a fun time of year for you?
11: Oh, this is my element. Right. <laughs> I, I this is I, this is like my Disneyland, and you know, I I, I come to these things. I I, I tend to. You know, through the years, I've gotten better at actually finding time to sleep. But uh, when you have an opportunity to meet with, you know, all the the the, the different player reps all the different teams sit down you know every day we're talking baseball and and you know it's about my favorite thing to do so i so think cool. uh you know being here in the in the great weather at talking about baseball it doesn't really get much
3: better i'm so jealous I, like i would be so much more jealous of you this week or winter meetings week than any other time of the year forget about watching my team play i would just want to do this it just seems like so much fun so cool Enjoy it, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes away from it to talk to us. We appreciate it. We'll do it again next week.
11: You got it, Mike.
0: Good stuff from Jerry DePoto with the question being, was he really just listing the best control the zone free agents or was that a shopping list? I think he was answering the question, but that, of course, does not automatically exclude anyone from any list. And that certainly was more fuel for the hot stove fire, which along with the hour-and-a-half media session DePoto had with reporters in Carlsbad the day before, stoked at least a week's worth of conversation, with Jake and Stacy taking a fun look at some of the hot topics.
8: Uh, We're going to do a little bit of a game. Curtis, you have a big wheel back there to spin. I got the biggest wheel. And and on the wheel, we have listed, Jake, uh, a couple different positions. There's outfield, infield, catcher, the future, shortstop, all kinds of big topics, starting pitching, all kinds of topics uh, that we know fans want to hear from. And because there was so much DePoto said, I'm just going to let choice decide where we go with this one. So, Curtis, go ahead and spin the wheel.
9: Still got it. Yeah, you really I still got it. Put a lot of juice into that what one. What a turn. Yeah.
8: This is a really long wheel.
6: Still going.
8: This is. Uh. Uh. This is. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. And it Me has too. landed on shortstop. Curtis, next
6: time don't spin it as hard, okay? Yeah. Oh, All right. Look. So- I got to show off. <laughs>
8: conveniently shortstop is going to be the biggest conversation for any team as far as free agency market goes, because everyone's going to want to know if their team is in on one of the top free agent shortstops that are going to be available. A lot of guys looking for big deals. Jerry DePoto's made it clear though, that the Mariners are going to stick with uh, JP Crawford at shortstop. So from the Seattle times, Ryan Divish, uh, he said that this is uh, Jerry DePoto, uh, J.P. Crawford isn't just their shortstop uh, for right now and of the future. They're sticking with him. So they're going to use J.P. to help recruit potential infield candidates, quote, particularly shortstops that they are asking to convert to second base uh, or shortstop. So shortstops that you want to move around. It certainly sounds then, you guys, like the Mariners are not going to be in on any of those top guys. So the shortstop that they sign, even if it's one of those top guys, would be asked to move to second or third base. If he signed with Seattle, so go ahead and eliminate Seager. Go ahead and eliminate Correa. Yeah,
6: but be careful when you say eliminate the top guys because there's other top guys at shortstop that well, have that flexibility. I'm speaking of
8: specifically guys that that almost you can almost guarantee will play at shortstop with the, whatever yeah, team they sign with.
6: There's no other flexibility, right? And so, okay, so Corey Seager and uh, and Carlos Correa, those are the two guys you knock off. But there's a bunch of other shortstops. Underneath that list, like Trevor Story, uh, Marcus Simeon, uh, Javi Baez is also someone that, that that plays shortstop but has a tremendous flexibility in that aspect. And I think that those are the types of players that Jerry DePoto and this organization are really, truly highlighting. And I, be, I believe that it's the right decision. Could J.P. Crawford play second base? Yes. Um, but I, I never really... Thought that they were real contenders for Correa or Seager. I, I I thought that the Seager situation speaks for itself. Correa, I I just figured that they would be outbid, and Correa to me just screams. Doesn't he scream Yankee to you? Doesn't he scream like one of those types of guys? You
8: don't think the Astros will make a move to keep him?
6: I, I of course they will. I mean I, they'll make a push, but I, I just I,
9: Astros money is not quite Yankees money.
6: Yeah, I mean well, they'll they're willing to do
7: whatever
8: I it mean, takes. It's not quite Yankees money, but the Astros in didn't they have a 194 million dollar payroll? I mean, that's what a it difference is. of like 10 ish million.
9: Yeah, but I would think the Yankees desire. When they have their sights set on a guy or in this case a couple Yankees. guys, Cray and oh Seager, they usually tend to get their guy. Yeah,
6: they yeah. they're not they are not putting down their paddle at an auction. that they are consistent it doesn't matter whatever it takes, that's what they're going to do. So that that is more of how I viewed Correa going into this free agency period, and Marcus Simeon for that reason has always been kind of the guy that I've highlighted and, and really want them to go after, and if they could have J.P. Crawford and Marcus Simeon at second base, I mean, my goodness, that would be incredible. You add maybe Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Javi Baez over there at third base, and then let's not rule out the possibility of maybe a trade for somebody like Jose Ramirez or Matt Chapman, but... I I just think that that position in and of itself, there's a unique aspect of the flexibility that they have with a lot of these players. And that's really what DePoto is is after.
8: So uh, let me ask you guys this. Obviously, there's so many plays and so many highlights that J.P. Crawford has had uh, defensively, and that's all fantastic. Um, He was a huge leader for the team. He was one of the better players. He might have finished. Did he finish with the highest, just basic like batting average on the team? It was either him. Ty France did. Ty France. It was up there though. He was he was pretty consistently post June first one of the better players for the Mariners. However, compared to other uh, shortstop bats in the league, certainly not really up there. He's, he's a little more like, I mean, it depends what you're looking at. He's 12th in terms of OPS among uh, eligible shortstops here Uh, and home runs. He's uh, oh gosh, a little further down here. Um, You look at average, he's seventh. So you're looking at like these guys aren't, uh, not all these guys are free agents, but Tim Anderson, um, Brandon Crawford, Xander Boggert's Carlos Correa was ahead of him in quite a few categories. So again, my question is, is it the right call?
6: Because um, he had I, I more opportunities
8: so. than any other shortstop. He had more at bats than any other shortstop, and yet offensively was not as productive.
6: Yeah, I do think it's the right call because you're not gonna you're not gonna have uh, uh, you're not gonna have big bats everywhere. And for J.P. Crawford, his his approach, his style still has tremendous value in this league, obviously with what he was able to do to help carry and propel the team moving forward. I mean, he helped this team. Basically, he was the one bat that was going in the month of June. I mean, he was the one that was carrying the team in the month of June. Uh, Hanager and Seager's bats, they they were cold during that month. Devil's
8: advocate. It's about getting runs. It's the most valuable thing you can do for your team. You look at the free agent guys ahead of him. Carlos Correa, 26 home runs on the season. Javi Baez, 24 home runs. Trevor Story, 24 home runs. Uh, Corey Seager, 16 home runs. J.P. Crawford, 9.
6: Yeah, and it's also something that I I believe that this is his first year that he has really truly found himself as a hitter. And J.P. Crawford doesn't need to be the top of your lineup. He was the top of your lineup in a out of necessity, out of need, and they were rotating guys. At one point, they had Jared Kelnick at the top of the lineup, and J.P. took that that group, and, and he ran with it. And, and I believe that J.P., could he be your leadoff hitter? Maybe, but also it wouldn't be a bad thing if he was your ninth or eighth guy in this lineup. That would mean that you have a very good, healthy lineup, and J.P. Crawford could come out with some very timely hitting. So overall, I think it would be very good. Uh, w- what else do we got on this wheel? All
8: right, let's go ahead and spin the wheel one more time. Curtis, if you could just make it shorter this time. No?
6: Not not possible.
8: Okay. Uh, uh, I, uh, all right, he's got a cannon. You can't short. Okay, no yes. problem.
9: You're That's, asking uh, Michelangelo totally not fine. to paint
8: the Sistine Chapel? Okay.
9: Okay. Thank
8: you so much. And all right, we're good. We're good. Okay, we're there. It, uh, it is landed right. on. Okay, it's landed on catcher which is a bit surprising, but uh, I'm actually glad that it did because, Curtis, I know you in particular wanted to sound off about this. Here is what Jerry DeVoto said about Catcher. They are rolling with the guys they have. No big movement expected here. My question, Mm. is it a good call or a bad call?
9: Uh, Love it or hate it? I mean, they love Tom Murphy. Love him. But I mean, I love love me some crazy eyes Murph. Yeah, but but, uh, I feel like his player profile is replicable throughout the league. There are guys like him in baseball that you could get in there. And there are also guys that are better than him at catcher. And maybe there's an incredible belief in Cal Raleigh that he'll take a step forward this season from the Mariners. But in the half season that he played for them, he left a lot to be desired with the bat. And then also Luis Terenz, I like his bat, but he is very much a DH first, catcher second. Right. And the Mariners have already made it known that they want to keep that DH spot open to cycle through a fourth outfielder, whether it be Mitch Hanager or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Keeping Torrens in that spot limits your your ability to do that. I don't think leaving the catcher position unaddressed is the best route for the Mariners to take this offseason.
6: Yeah, I would agree with with Curtis on this one. I, it, it just is something that concerns me and worries me, to be quite honest with you. Uh, it, why would you not add a, a veteran player, a, again, as we've talked about before, a true big league bat where you're not trying to rotate, you're not trying to figure out how you're going to maneuver and bring this thing together and piecemeal it. Uh, I, I just... To me, it really makes me nervous, but it it is. It it fundamentally goes to show that they believe heavily in Cal Raleigh. They believe in what he can be and the jump that he can make after this experience here this last year in the bigs. To me, that is a major assumption rather than getting a sure thing while continuing to allow Cal Raleigh to get his reps, get his opportunities, get his experience behind the plate as well as, uh, as, as a hitter I just think that there's a lot there's a lot of development still to be had with Cal Raleigh and they are going into the season going to be very heavily reliant on him. You're
8: absolutely not wrong either of you. I think the way I look at it is like uh I am okay. It's kind of how I looked at um strong safety where I was like I'm okay with the strong safety uh not leading the team in interceptions as long as someone else has a lot <laughs> has a lot. Uh it's kind of w- what I look at with catcher. I'm okay with the catcher not being the best bat in your lineup. Very comfortable with that, as long as you've also got some great offense elsewhere, and uh, I think that's where I'm I'm wondering and, and hoping they can add there because if not, you're looking back at that decision. Let's let's mm-hmm. spin the wheel one more time, Curtis. Oh, not man. one just, more time, just very lightly. Do you, do you, you have it just, in you? I mean, Curtis, literally tired? lightly tap it. I don't have time.
9: Uh, I don't know if that's possible.
8: Okay, and they're Okay, all right.
9: Dude, yeah. Oh yeah! <laughs> Thanks. Oh yeah. After Feeling that good one. here.
8: <laughs> okay, and here we go. Free agents. So Jerry Depoto did talk about some potential free agent targets. I've got a cut for this one. Take a listen to what he said.
11: There's a number of them. You know, there, there's. I, I think the, the obvious guy that jumps to mind among the current free agents is Mark Canna, who has always been a a good zone dominator swings at the right pitches, extends at bats, draws a high walk rate, you know, limits the punch outs, Uh, which are, which are the different, you know, I guess, base traits you're looking for. Uh, Michael Conforto is another guy who can really control the strike zone. And uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of them on this free agent market. It is a, it's a good time to be Freddie Freeman, obviously. (laughs) Uh, It's a good time to, to be a, 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 a buyer in an mm-hmm. offensive state in this market.
8: How do we like those names? I'm going to preface it by saying I don't see Freddie Freeman leaving the Braves, but
6: no, uh, he is not leaving the Braves. And if the if the Braves let Freddie Freeman walk, I mean they I are. I don't
8: think they will. It's it's going to be one of those things where it's, um, You're a, you're one of the most popular players with that city on that team yes there's an incentive to stay
6: he's a legacy just guy.
8: won a world series
6: 100 yeah. percent. he is a legacy but let's
8: guy. look at some of these other guys
6: okay so you look at some of these other guys i mean mark hannah to me makes a ton of sense and is somebody that when you talk about his addition does it excite me does it wow me no but it is a very good bat and it could be um oh why am i blank on his name Killed us with the Boston Red Sox. Curtis was screaming from the rooftops that you could have signed him this last Kyle Schwarber. season. Schwarber, he could be your version of Kyle Schwarber, somebody that goes into free agency isn't a hot name, is more of a veteran, had a little bit of a down year in terms of his numbers, but can absolutely be a great big league bat for you, and and can play that fourth outfielder type of role. I could easily see that, you know, being the case for the Mariners. Um, but you know, one of the other guys that really intrigues me in this situation as well is, uh, say Suzuki, he, he's somebody that really intrigues me in terms of what he could potentially bring to this team and be somebody from the outfield. That makes a ton of sense.
8: All right, Curtis, put the wheel away. Uh, you've had enough fun Fine. for today. And I just, it it spins for so Telling long Michael that we Jordan ran out not of time. to shoot his jump shot. Okay, yep, we'll, we'll take it out maybe at a later day because there's lots we, we didn't get we to. We might have
6: to come back to this at 11.45
0: Just now. don't there's, spin there, it yeah, as long there as like it is. It literally like spins that. for like three minutes, and that's too much. I want to give just one little bit of input from that segment. Now, from what I'd seen and heard, not going after a catcher had much more to do with belief in Tom Murphy than Cal Raleigh. Now, they believe Cal Raleigh is going to further develop and be what they're hoping he is going to be. They haven't lost any faith there. But this was a little bit of a surprise for me. They really, really value Tom Murphy. And that's only a surprise to me because of the stumble he took this year and relatively short big league track record he has. I knew they liked him, but not to this extent. Scott Service went well out of his way to sing his praises of Murphy at the end of the season. And if you take it back even further, the way they stuck with him through a horrific first-half struggle, they did that because of everything he brings behind the plate and behind the scenes. The way he handles the pitchers, the buy-in that he's had in understanding what they're doing analytically— That's all very real, and to be honest with you, it's been pretty neat to see. The Tom Murphy and Mariner story, it's a good one. Okay. So we got Jake, Stacy, and Curtis's thoughts on things early in the show on Wednesday. Later, we got to hear from ESPN.com's Kylie McDaniel, who, if you're not familiar, he's worked in front offices of several organizations, also wrote for Fangraphs. Kylie has some interesting evaluations of a number of possible Mariners' targets. He also gave some names away from the top of the class to keep an eye on. Right now, though, let's jump into
8: free agency. It's a huge offseason for the Seattle Mariners. Here to help us out on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline is ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. Kylie, how's it going?
7: Doing great. Thanks for having me on.
8: Yeah, of course. I mean, we're really excited to... Uh, talk about some of these guys that the Mariners uh, should be looking at, or maybe more importantly, like, can they look at them? Um, So you have um, a a new feature. It's on the front page of ESPN.com in case anyone listening wants to check that out. And uh, in it, Kylie details some of the top free agents in all of baseball, who's going to be on the market, everything you need to know about them. So uh, let's start with the shortstop market. And obviously that seems to be the biggest story. Uh, Are there any, of these top shortstops where you look at them and see a team like Seattle who might have their answer at shortstop, uh, see being a fit for them?
7: Uh, For the pure shortstops, no. Uh, I think Correa, uh, Story, Seager, uh, Javi Bion, I guess they're in that group too. Uh, I think they probably have slightly better spots, and I think Seattle will be looking for a slightly different sort of player because I think they're, like you said, they're sort of confident with J.P. Crawford at short, and I think they're more looking at second base. Obviously, a lot of shortstops can play second base, uh, and there is a little bit of chatter that, depending on the team, Javi Baez, if he gets a short-term deal, maybe a second base. Trevor Story had some trouble throwing this year, so he could settle for a short-term deal and play second base. Uh, And then the guy that I had sort of mentioned, and uh, I guess that a lot of other people have mentioned, uh, Marcus Simeon, who has played shortstop in the past, but played second base last year, uh, with Toronto, he seems to be the guy that the Mariners are most interested in to be continue to be sort of a pure second baseman.
8: And you also projected a contract of what you think it would cost to get Simeon. What was the contract, and what went into that?
7: He had like one good season, and then an iffy season, and then 2020 the shortened year. Uh, he was just okay. He had to settle for a one year deal, and then he's you know going to get MVP votes this year. Uh, so now he is at a much higher level, and he's 31 and has experience playing second and short. And so you're looking at a guy that's, you know, you're going to be paying him as though he will be an all-star level guy for two or three more years. And I think he will be for at least one or two more years. So that's sort of the challenge there is because he's going to be 31 on opening day, how much longer is this going to go? Whereas with Carlos Correa, who's going to get paid a lot more, uh, he's going to be 27 on opening day. And that's sort of the age you tend to see, these Harper, Machado, Correa, those sorts of guys, whereas Simeon is more the traditional free agent, already over 30.
6: Uh, One of the other names that is really intriguing to me and to a lot of Mariners fans is is somebody like Chris Bryant? How realistic is Chris Bryant for Mariners fans out there who are looking at him and going, "Man, that would be an incredible addition to this team"?
7: Yeah, he's another tricky one because his first three seasons in the big leagues were among the best, like first three seasons in like baseball history. And I know last year uh, there was a lot of chatter that he might get non-tendered uh, by the Cubs because he was uh, up for one year, I believe it was nineteen and a half million. In his last year of arbitration. And I like had conversations off the record with GMs who said, yeah, we wouldn't trade anything for him. Like we think he's negative at negative value at 19 and a half million. We wouldn't trade a prospect for him. And that look, there were many teams that felt that way. They just thought he was trending in the wrong direction. You're paying for name value and he's not going to bring that much to the table at that price point. Obviously, still a good player. Uh, This year, he answered a lot of those questions. And now the suspicion is somebody's going to give him $100 million maybe even as high as like 120, 130. Uh, but everyone's sort of sitting there and it sounds like most teams are like, yeah, we'd give them, you know, three, four years, you know, 60, 80, maybe 90 million. Um So at that price, I, I think it's reasonable if somebody wants to go out and offer him 130, then I I suppose that's a little less reasonable. Uh, But he's another guy that I think he's probably just a tier below Simeon as a player for me. I think Simeon could be on the advanced metrics, you know, four or five one player for a couple of years. I think Bryant's more three to four, maybe two and a half to four, Uh, but he's a little bit younger. So there might be a little more longevity there. And there's, you know, always a chance that he goes back to what he was early in his career.
6: You know, Kylie, as you're looking at this situation for the Mariners uh, who are finally here in Seattle, we're like, finally, they're going to start opening up their payroll. They're going to start getting aggressive here. At least that's what they're telling us. Is there any name out there regarding infield starting pitching that you're looking at that screams to you a legit possibility that the Mariners could pull this off and land this particular player, maybe outside of the Chris Bryant-Marcus Simeon conversation?
7: Yeah, I could see some interest in in a guy like Marcus Stroman. I think there's a shot. there. There's that second tier of pitcher behind the Robbie Ray, Kevin Gausman, Max Scherzer, you could argue Clayton Kershaw belongs in that group as well. Uh where there's some real uncertainty like Carlos Rodon, I think is uh, is worth a 3-year deal at, you know, 17 to 20 million dollars. Uh he didn't get offered the QO, which is 1 year at 18 million dollars from the White Sox. I still don't know why. I've been talking to people for days trying to figure out why they didn't do that. It sort of suggests there's something we don't know going on uh, around health. All that's to say, that tier in like the 40 to 60 million guaranteed range, where that's uh, Rodon, uh, Marcus Stroman, and a couple other guys, possibly Kershaw, that's the area where those guys, one of them's going to settle for 35, 40 million, or maybe just sign a one-year deal. Which you know if Rodon has an injury issue that extends into next year, he may have to do that. Uh, and I mentioned it with some of those shortstops, like Story and Bias. like, some of these guys that everyone thinks are going to get big money, a couple of them are going to get left out, they're not going to get the high-end number they want, and they're going to be left over on the market for a big one-year deal, and the question is then, are you a competing team? Do you have enough money in your payroll? Are you the sort of team that sort of gets the most out of their players like San Francisco did this past year? And I think Seattle has, like, you know, has some room to payroll, has some room in the lineup, uh, room in the rotation. They could be one of those opportunistic buyers, like we've seen with the Braves in the past, but they'll just, like, sit and wait. And if somebody they like will take a one-year deal at a price that they can justify, they'll do it to sort of stay – flexible obviously the rumors are like pushing toward Marcus and so like that would eat up a lot of that flexibility if you make that move quickly
8: is there any one position group where it's kind of a weak free agency class or is this pretty solid across the board
7: uh catching the one spot where there isn't a lot of depth I'm not sure any of these guys are going to get multi-year deals uh and you know I think Seattle could probably upgrade there but it's not like a, a giant need uh, and I think it's also interesting to try to figure out um, we talked about Chris Bryant, like the, you know, marriage just made like that big Gregman trade to get Toro, who looks like sort of a long-term answer at third base, but going back to Chris Bryant, he can play corner outfield. I think at the back end of, he signs a four or five year deal. He probably goes to the corner outfield and that's one of the spots where I think they could be willing to add somebody. One other sort of uh complicated element to this is it looks like we'll have universal DH in the new CBA, so a lot of those corner outfield 1st base DH-type guys, there's now twice as many teams betting for them. So the Nelson Cruz, Kyle Schwarber, some of those kinds of guys, they don't all have to settle for one your deals anymore. Mm. Uh, so that's another element to kind of toss into this.
6: Oh, that's that's really interesting, Kylie. Uh, you know, one of the other – now we're talking about the outfield a little bit. Um, you know, Jerry Depoto kind of in his press conference yesterday said that they're not going to be overly aggressive in trying to find an established center fielder. But one one name that has been you know put out there and, and a name that you have actually pretty high on your list is Seiya Suzuki. What are you hearing about him, the intrigue that he has uh, across baseball, and could that be a potential fit in Seattle?
7: Yeah, if you uh, lump together the uh, Korean and Japanese leagues, uh, KBO and MPB, and say, like, who's the best position player to come over, because if you remember historically, it's almost always a pitcher. And we've had, you know, Daisuke and... Uh, all kinds of players come from NBB largely. And then KBO, usually the players come from there are guys that were sort of stalled out in the big leagues, went there, got better. Eric Ten's one example. And then last year we had Hassan Kim, uh, who was 26, came over as a shortstop, was a little underwhelming, but got uh, $25 million from Mariners. or sorry, from the Padres. Uh, Suzuki is uh, going to be 27, so he's one year older. And he's probably a right fielder, but he's a good enough fielder that he could play a little center if you need him to. Keith Fiena is the best position player to come over in a while. Uh, maybe even going all the way back to Yamichiro you know, and Hideki Matsui, but not quite at their level, but there just hasn't been a lot of position players, um, come over since then. I have a up for four years, 48 million, and that'll also come with a posting fee, which will be like another, I think, eight to 10 million, if that's what the contract is that the team has to pay to his. Uh, team in Hiroshima. So he's one of the more intriguing guys just because you could get him for four or five years at age 27. That's Carlos Correa's age. You typically don't get free agents that young. Hmm. And just because he hasn't been over here, you don't really know where the upside is. Like it could be a really good player. I think Hassan Kim obviously being a different sort of player, but the last guy to come over uh, had a little bit of trouble this year. Um, So I think there could be some teams that are a little scared off. Obviously Seattle I think has a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the, the players from the far West.
6: You know, Kylie, one of the things that uh, Mariners fans, they always keep tabs on guys that that leave and, and what they do. You have Yusei Kikuchi listed as 33 on your list. And then there's also Kyle Seeger who will be departing from the team. What do those two guys' markets look like? And what type of team do you expect those two guys to land on?
7: Yeah, Kikuchi's in that interesting spot a little below that second tier of starter I talked about, with that's 40 to $60 million. I, I have him at two years 21. Uh and he opted out of a $13 million player option, which I think a lot of people thought he would take. But because I think he thinks he can get multiple years, uh, and then getting that bigger guarantee is worth it. Uh I think he's gonna end up going to a team that is looking at that top tier pitcher but is probably shopping in that second tier and then doesn't get what they're looking for. I think another candidate would be teams like the Dodgers, who have such a big payroll and such a good farm system that they can afford to get either somewhat risky or uh, lower ceiling guys that they need to mix in. As we already saw, the Dodgers sign Andrew Haney, who is a little bit of a you know a buy low opportunity. I could see some teams thinking uh, Kikuchi could be that kind of guy. Uh, competing teams that need a little uh, length to their uh, rotation. Uh, and then, yeah, that would be another, another thing with Secret where you're looking for, you know, teams that maybe shopping a little bit north of where he is, which is, you know, one or two years, 10, 12 million a year. Um, if they can't get the guy they want, he's in a group with Eduardo Escobar at Arizona, a couple other, um, infielders in that range where you're, you're getting an everyday guy, but it's a little older. There's probably not a ton of upside. Uh, but there's plenty of teams, especially if the CBA ends up with a floor that teams have to spend to. He's one of those guys you can feel good about, and especially on a one-year deal, a lot of rebuilding teams will look at veterans, usually relievers, but sometimes infielders as well, to then uh, deal at the deadline.
8: I think it's always good for Mariners fans to know which teams their team is competing with for some of these names. We know the big spenders every year, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers. Um, But is there any other team that, like Seattle, has been a little more quiet on that front that plans to go all in this offseason?
7: Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors uh, around Texas. Uh, who look like they may make a run at Clayton Kershaw, in addition to some of those top-tier guys we just talked about. I think they think that they will be competitive this year and possibly contend the year after, and so uh, this could be sort of an investment on the front end to take a step forward. Uh, the Giants, obviously, are a team that has typically had high payrolls, but they got a lot of money coming off the books this year. So it is sort of believed that they might have you know, up to $100 million available. I think they'll only sign one or two of the big multi-year deals, and they probably will be very dangerous in that sort of one-year, 10 to $15 million deal, especially for um, players that can't get the market they want but want to go to a team that has a history of improving. Um, and then there's just some other teams that I think aren't always at the, at the limit of the competitive balance tax or sort of the soft salary cap, like the White Sox, that are just aggressive every year. And maybe aren't the biggest spenders, but they're just always going to figure out a way to make the most out of it. But I would say, uh, yeah, Seattle and Texas and the Giants are probably those those non-Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers types that I think might be spending at the top end of the market. And it wouldn't surprise me also to say if the Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, the teams that typically spend the most, Mm -hmm. if they get outbid. uh, Detroit also would be another team like that who thinks they're sort of rounding the corner. If one of those teams makes a semi-irrational bid on a player early to get somebody and build some momentum, And then you see the Yankees and Red Sox haven't signed anybody and we're already, you know, into February and they gotta pick who they want wouldn't shock him because those teams have shown a lot of caution when it comes to all, but their, you know, core three or four players. Right. And I think some of these teams that are rounding the corner, like Seattle might have to overpay to get the guy they want. If they like dead set on a certain player.
8: Yeah. I think that's probably what we're anticipating too. Uh, he is ESB, ESPN MLB insider, Kylie McDaniel. Make sure you go check out his 2021, 22 MLB free agent rankings. It's on ESPN.com right now. It's very, very, it's a good, easy list if you are not sure about these names or where the Mariners should be looking. Kylie tells you the projected contract, uh, all the details you need to know about the player, a team that might be looking for them. Really, really good stuff. Kylie, it's been so fun talking to you. I hope we can get you
0: on uh, a bit later in free agency once the Mariners start to make some moves here.
7: Yep, yeah, absolutely.
0: Kylie McDaniel provided plenty more to talk about over the next 24 hours on 710, as did John Morosi in his weekly visit with Wyman and Bob on Thursday. The visit this week extended as John Paul made a stop in Seattle on his way home from the GM meetings to visit his own stomping grounds from when he worked at the PI and to take in a Kraken game. We'll leave the hockey part of the conversation for another podcast.
12: You want to transition to, to Mariners? or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think Bob wants to talk baseball now. <laughs>
5: I'm, I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready for whatever you guys want to talk. Well, well let, let, let's talk about, before we get into free-aided GM meetings, what you heard, your feelings about some of the p- players that could be available. I got to ask you about postseason awards Mm -hmm. and and Scott service is a finalist along with Kevin Cash and Dusty Baker for manager of the year. And and I look at this and I say, all right, you've got the Houston Astros who were expected to be a postseason team and expected to be very good. They've got a big fat payroll. Uh, Kevin Cash in the in the Rays were the AL representatives the year before in the World Series. They were expected to be there. By every analyst's estimation, the Seattle Mariners were a 70 to a 75-76 win team. Across the board, there was no expectation of them doing anything remotely close to what they ultimately achieved, which was a 90-win season. Right. And they were in it until the final series of the year. And you look at it with the lineup and the lack of production they got out of that lineup. All of the one-run wins they had. They lose three of their five starters. Right out of the gate, their biggest offseason acquisition, James Paxton, is out after 24 pitches. Sheffield is out. Dunn is out. Mark Gavichis is out. Their rookie of the year, Kyle Lewis, is out. Their gold glove first baseman, Evan White, is out. And he's able to just ring that sponge drive, everything they've got to get, 90 wins. To me, I look at that and say, that's a slam dunk. How is he not the manager of the year? So
13: that's a great question. And I'll I'll say this. Now, I was I was a voter this year for this particular award. So this is you have you have asked the right person this question. <laughs> awesome. I I am not unfortunately I must say because I, I don't want to get a, a, a phone call from Jack O'Connell of the BBWA about this. Um, we are of course not allowed to reveal our ballots until the award is announced. But I will tell you this: don't Just blink once for trouble. service, at, twice at, for some At the else. risk at the risk of uh <laughs> of of offending uh what what our rules are. I will say this. My top three, in some order, was the three that became finalists. So I felt somewhat validated that that was my my ballot. I'll tell you this. I I gave serious thought to five different candidates, the three guys that were finalists, including Scott, obviously, and then Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch. And and obviously, I'll say it clearly here, whatever happened in 2017 with the Astros had nothing to do with what I thought about my ballot for this time around with A.J. and and Alex. Mm -hmm. Totally irrelevant. But – I, I for all the reasons that you pointed out, Bob, I think that that AJ or that, that Scott service rather is is a very worthy uh, selection. I think Dusty was also, and Kevin Cash won all those games, the most games in the American League in the AL East with a minuscule payroll. There, so there, there, there is a reasonable case to be made for all of those all, all those three managers. Yes, Houston had a lot of talent. i I don't think it would have been fair to discredit Dusty for that. He also found a way to, really over a two-year span, get this team, which had fractured its identity over after 2019 and the science-stealing scandal and dealing with that, to now back-to-back playoff berths and back-to-back—and, of course, it was after the regular season that we had to turn this vote in—now uh, he wins the division this year. So, I mean, there was, there was not a wrong answer. I think if, if Scott Service wins— I'll be happy for him if Dusty wins. I'll be happy for him, and if Kevin Cash wins, I'll be happy for him. There's there's no wrong answer here, and and I think if a Mariner fan, uh, if a Mariner fan wants to, as as you are articulating, uh, just put the flag on the ground and say it needs to be service. I would not take issue one bit with you because I think that his case is as good or better than anybody else's.
5: Is not making the playoffs, though, a disqualifier? Because that's what a lot of people responded with. Well, you can't give it to a guy who didn't make it to the playoffs, and the last time they did it, it was Buck Walter in the early 2000s. I, I think when you look at what he had to do and what he had to work with versus the other two guys, right. to me it's just not even a competitive debate.
13: It, it mattered not to me, to be honest with you. So uh, I, I'll tell you this. I, I voted for Scott Service where I would have had him had – had the Mariners made the playoffs? Like it didn't. It did not make a difference to me. You win ninety games, you win. 90, that is. That's not your fault for not making the playoffs. And by the way, we've talked about this before. It's just it, it deserves an underline and bold bold line here. They won one more game than the Braves. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's pretty amazing. So amazing. that they won one more game than the Braves. The Blue Jays did too. And and when you think about how how still to your point about all the the pitching injuries that they they suffered why this team has a legitimate chance to really be special in 2022. They're building from a place that's, that's pretty good to begin with. This is not a team like Detroit where they have to come back from winning 70-some yeah. games. This is a team that won 90 and is not – I mean, they're losing Seager. They're losing, they're losing some guys. Yeah. But, but this is the, the – if, if they took this team that exists right now on paper and showed up to Peoria, they'd still have a chance to make the
12: playoffs, and they're not even close to done right now. All right, JP. This is very real quick, uh, very specific question, but it's selfish on my part. That's okay. Uh, we heard uh, from uh, Jerry Depoto that possibly Michael Conforto could be one of those guys that controls the zone, be able to come back here. I'm mm. friends with his dad, oh, and I also I got an agreement that when he gets signed here. He's coming on our show exclusively. <laughs> right, Bob? I love it. Yeah. I love that. And he's a great Perfect. guy. And so, he's so a now, great kid. So, so
13: now you knew his dad through football?
12: Yeah, we coached together. And I, love he, it. I know he played linebacker at Penn State. And, I love but yeah, it. we coached together at Redmond High. And I've been watching Michael Conforto yeah. since he was in like sixth grade. Redmond High School. And he's yeah. a
13: Little League World Series. Yeah, right? exactly. So yeah, exactly. he's, as you know, a, a great young man. I've, I've gotten to know him over the years and talk with him just to, as, as gracious as they come. And, it, yeah. and you know what? It'd be great because when you think about it, how many times have the Mariners had superstars who grew up here? I mean I mean like legit like who who signed and brought him home. I mean, yeah. Willie Bloomquist is obviously from around here. That's right. Aaron Seeley's from around here. Uh but in terms yeah. of native born and raised, Richie Sexton was from the Northwest when he came back. There's a
12: pitcher mm-hmm. from Tacoma. It was the guy that had cancer or something like that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're right. I mean it's it just doesn't so happen cool very lot of Right. And so And, and for I'm, a player, he's gonna be like extra incentivized to be yeah to, to and, and
13: he still makes his home out of here right i'm not sure
12: about that but uh i know his dad's here
13: so. that's that's right and, and by the way you you think about this and to that point about how seattle's uh, just a great sports mecca in so many ways the the drive line and the the the, the new the new fangles pitching metrics and and the pitching labs as they are having driveline here a lot of pitchers in recent years, have flown here to work out here during the off season, oh. And so they, they get to know the community. They get to used to traveling here. This, this has a chance to be a, a team. The ballpark obviously is gorgeous. The city is amazing. This is a team that as soon as they get good, because they've never been sustainably good year after year. My, my colleague Joel Sherman from MLB Network yesterday made this point that when they've had good seasons, the next year invariably has been a, a drop-off basically in the last 20 years, because they've had some moments. 07 was good. They had a couple other times when they almost made the playoffs. And and now it's about sustaining it. Once I really believe once this team gets sustainably good, again, like we saw in the 90s and early 2000s, free agents will want to come. And not just those who played for you at the Great Redmond High School, but, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, free agents from all around the world.
5: Hey, one, one more postseason award question sure. here. We, we saw MLB Network tweet out the nominees for the all-MLB team. They got 16 relief pitchers. You got 16 choices wow. there, right? None of which include a guy in this from this maybe the best bullpen in baseball, one of the best in the Seattle Mariners, and Sadler, who had uh, 29 straight appearances giving up no runs, had a zero six seven ERA with a two point one WAR. Hmm. Steckenrider, 14 saves, sixty seven and two thirds innings. He, he's got a Seawald. Two How about Seawald? Well, and he was the other S. I mean, any of these three guys? How do not one of these three guys crack that top sixteen? That's, that's a
13: great question. I mean, I mean, certainly. I mean, Sadler was historic. Seawald. I mean, look at his, People talk about what you love in terms of strikeout rates. Seawald, hundred four strikeouts in sixty four and two thirds innings. That to just is n- walks. That just does not happen. So I mean, his his strikeout rate was extraordinary. He won he won ten games by the way as a reliever, which is just amazing. That's I'm trying to think of who who that's like almost Paul Abbott territory. But but I mean, so this this is a uh, for me uh, I, I I think this is emblematic of what happens when when this team obviously hasn't made the playoffs in a while and that respect factor it's it, it'll come back around. I I, I want takes see, a while, right? Yeah, it does. It does, and, and sometimes the, the perception takes a year to catch up with with the reality of right. it. Believe me, if this team if this team makes the playoffs, all those relievers that we know well from Houston, Atlanta, that we watched all in October, we'll, we'll know these names. the the the, the baseball world's going to know these names pretty soon because uh, this team is getting close.
5: All right. Well, uh, and and we've got to ask you about players, the GM meetings, all that. And John Marossi has uh, graciously agreed to stick around for one more segment. So we'll get into much deeper uh, conversations as it pertains to what's going on in baseball and the Mariners. All of that coming your way next with Wyman and Bob on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Wyman and Bob, brought to you by Angel of the Winds Casino Resort on 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: Now here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob, Bob Stelton. Stelton.
5: Our NHL and MLB insider John Morosi is in studio with us. For those of you watching on the stream at 710 Sports.com, you see him looking dapper. He's looking <laughs> sharp, man. Just look at just a man about town. This guy.
13: Well, uh, I, I tell you this though, uh, hockey custom especially if you ever go to a game in Canada you got to wear a tie it's oh, it's basically okay. if you're looking in the press box at a hockey game it's like like the original six and then the canada canada teams it's always always a tie that's very oh, wow. cool
12: you know we were talking about how back in the days in the nfl where coaches wear ties yeah. and tom Bob, Lundry, right? i'm gonna make you he's really nice to look at you know and i know that you're a t-shirt and jean guy but i think <laughs> you should start dressing up he's got the cheap <laughs> because, trick
5: t-shirt uh, that's good stuff yeah. right there absolutely right you got to represent when you're at home uh hey but let, let, let's talk about what the shopping list should look like for this mariners team and there are, there are different positions of concern or or that need to be addressed but so we heard a, a cut earlier from Jerry DePoto saying he feels like they need two starters. Mm-hmm. Realistically, you know, just looking at, in terms of finances and, and somebody that I've said, I don't want duct tape guys. I don't want guys right. that are 38 years old that may have a year left and you're trying to just plug a hole here. I want somebody you can build around because like you said, I want this to be a team that's contending year in, year out who realistically would you be looking at? Would you, would you look at Paxton? Because I think he's kind of falling into, a, into that duct tape mode. He's a little older, coming off injuries almost every year. Who, who do you look at is, in terms of the rotation?
13: I, I would look at, if, if I'm Jerry Depoto, I would basically have a free agent bucket and a trade bucket and and pursue one in each category. Uh, I think that's a way to sort of hedge your overall expenditure, and it's also a way to make sure that you're not giving up a ton for anyone in terms of your prospects, he basically has already said that he's not going to be giving up uh, the elite of the elite. I, I would imagine Julio Rod- Rodriguez is not at all in play. But when you look at the rest of the group, they, they do have Kirby, they have Hancock, so two right-handed p- pitchers. Uh, they've done a good job of, I think, uh, developing enough depth to be able to move one of them. Uh either Kirby or Hancock if they have to. Uh, they, they are still fans of Cal Raleigh. They may, they may have him, obviously, as a, someone that they could either move or have in the Major League roster. So for me, they have enough prospects, in my view, to potentially talk with the Marlins about someone like a Pablo Lopez, of course, an original Mariner, Elise uh, Hernandez as well. I would imagine that uh, Sandy Alcantara probably is not available with, with Miami. But I think that's a team to watch. Luis Castillo with with the Reds. I heard about him this week being an option for the Mariners. Watch him very carefully. Um, do we see Herman Marquez with Colorado? That's a name to watch. That, that team is certainly going to cycle through and, and maybe get a little bit younger. Um, I, the Cubs, perhaps. Kyle Hendricks, someone like him. I, I think there's enough. So I would say pursue one of that group, and then you flip around and say, okay, free agency-wise. There's a lot of guys that I think are appealing for this team. I, I, I would look at a John Gray. There's no draft pick attached to him because he was not given the qualifying offer. Whether it's Marcus Stroman, Kevin Gossman, they don't have the pick either. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez does, but I think he's a a really intriguing option for me. 28 years old, left-handed. I've always been a fan of of lefty pitchers at Safeco, uh, or uh, T-Mobile now. Uh, So for me, I think one of those, uh, sign a free agent and then trade for one and, and have that be a way to sort of make sure that you're not you don't have to sign Robbie Ray for $150 million. I don't know that Robbie's going to get that much, but you don't have to go for a nine-figure deal unless you really have to. Uh, so I, I think there's a way to hedge things. There's, there's enough supply out there that you could take one one via trade, one via free agency, and your rotation is a lot better.
12: What bothers me is Evan White because he is such a good first baseman. but. Ty France became a really good first baseman. I thought that was, you know, another reason why uh, Scott Service should be manager of the year in, right. in the AL because of the development of players during the season as as it went on. He got to be really good, so he's really good at first, and they're talking about moving him to third. But Evan White can't hit. That that whole thing kind of kind of bothers me, and I think it yeah. starts with the first base. For me, I, I would say you know two names
13: that did not really cross my mind a lot this week when I was thinking about the Mariners in San Diego were Dylan Moore and Evan White. They weren't really on my radar. Mm. Because I, I, for me, the, the, the baseline assumption for me is they're going to get a, a middle infielder, probably a second baseman.
12: Yeah.
13: And whether that's Marcus Simeon, whether they bring back Chris Taylor, who fits this team probably better now than he ever did before. Um, if you think about, just imagine an infield of J.P. Crawford at short, Chris Taylor or a Marcus Simeon at second, Toro at third, France at first, and then the outfield, you can really be, I I think maybe you look to add one center fielder, someone who can play center field, because the Mariners have basically said, Jerry Depoto said this the other day, they don't want Kelnick to play center field every day. They want him to be a corner guy. So if you have Kelnick to play a corner, Mitch is playing right field no matter what. So you, you had Kelnick for left. Julio Rodriguez believes he might be able to play center field, but you don't want to have him with that pressure right off the bat. Yeah. So th- there are ways to, to build this team. You want to leave some spot a spot for Kyle Lewis to rotate him through. For me, you're not even really thinking about Evan White. There's not there's not a spot for him. So I mean, you can trade him. He's got a contract already, which which right. is not ideal. But uh, he doesn't. For me, he doesn't have a spot on this team. Ty France is a, he needs to play every day, and Abraham Toro is a really good third baseman. He needs to play every day, uh, or or at least seventy five percent of the time. So for me, uh, Evan White's got to either earn a spot, or he might get traded. Same thing for Dylan Moore. I, I just I don't see either of them having a really key spot uh, on this club going forward, based on the way that I, I think this infield's going to lay out. I feel a
12: lot better now. <laughs>
13: yeah, I would Seriously. say don't don't worry about him. He's just he's. Yeah. I mean, it's it, you hate to say that it's a sunk cost. But, right. again, this is part of the, these, the deals that, that happen when before a player even shows up to the major leagues. Sometimes they don't work out. And, and w- w- when you do that preemptive strike, if you will, it's it's important to remember there is some risk for the team. And, and the way that the Evan White situation's
5: played out, it, it really underscores there is risk for the team. Could you see them going after, and I've been seeing this name pop up a bit, and I'm sure you've probably heard it as well, as Brian Reynolds from from the uh Pirates. Yes, their, their center fielder. So
13: he so he is the one guy and and he uh I think he's a phenomenal player. Uh so the, the ir- he 26 years old yeah. I think. The, yes. Yeah. And he's he's got 3 4 years left before he becomes a free agent. The irony of of Brian Reynolds. And I I had this conversation with with uh, an official yesterday of a club about looking at that situation with Pittsburgh. Brian Reynolds to the Pirates rebuild is Mitch Haniger of the Mariners rebuild mm-hmm. in that in that Mitch for like three years, obviously the injury affected this a little bit, but he was always available, right? The price tag was high, but Mitch Hanniger was always available because <laughs> Jerry DePoto was making moves and, and this team was cycling down and, and, and getting less ex- less expensive with the payroll. So he was always out there, but they never felt this urgency to trade him because they always knew that by the time he was basically about to enter free agency, they'd be good again. And they are. So Brian Reynolds, three, four years from now, the Pirates probably will be good. And right as Reynolds becomes a free agent. So he sort of is this this beacon for the Pirates. He's, he is the guy, along with Cabrian Hayes, that fans in Pittsburgh will pay money to see because he's a really good player. And, and I think that – so for that reason, the Pirates trade him. The fans say, oh, my gosh, you've traded like the last guy that we knew, which, again, was Mitch Haniger two years ago, <laughs> or three years ago. He was the guy that Seattle fans still identified with. So I, I think – The the irony is that, yes, Brian Reynolds with this team fits perfectly. I would love to see him play center field in Seattle. I think he'd be great. I think he'd be able to cover the ground because PNC's got a pretty big center field, too, so he's used to it. Uh, I I think the fit's great, really smart guy, played at Vanderbilt. I mean, he's everything about him checks every box. So I'd love to see him here, uh, but the price tag is going to be high, and he's the one guy. We talk about top prospects. I, I don't think Julio Rodriguez is getting traded for anybody. But I would say that if you're talking about Brian Reynolds, you'd have to basically consider almost anybody else—Noel De Marte, Kirby Hancock, that group. You'd have to basically think about just about everybody else, and probably two of those everybody's
5: uh, for that to, for that deal to work out for Brian Reynolds. Mm. John, awesome to see you in there. Wish I could be there, but again, you'll 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 find I'm your coming back, back here. Coming uh, back for the Mariners. Yeah, yeah I'm telling you what. On,
13: we, we got we got All-Star games in the future here in, in Seattle, uh, so that's 2023, but but long before then. Long before then. 2022 World Series is going to happen here. So I'm going to be uh, my plan is to spend a lot of time in this great city in the, in the year to come.
0: John Morosi can be heard every Thursday afternoon on Wyman and Bob. Now, another duo was talking Mariners this week. Let's check in on the Brock and Salk podcast.
3: Well, Brock, the other you know big story this week, and you know how much I love this, it pains me to even wait this long to talk about it, is just what's going on with the Mariners is they have this huge chance with the most enormous offseason in their history, trying to go good to great, and, and the GM meeting started right off the bat. John Heyman was alerted to the fact that the Mariners exist and might spend money this year. I was uh, really impressed to see him uh, being okay, able to Heyman. Yeah, he was able to spell Mariners correctly, which was a new thing for him. I thought that was good. But beyond all of it, like immediately connected to some of the bigger names, and especially Marcus Simeon. I, I think the more we've talked over the course of the last few months, that's the name that I think everybody keeps coming back to, and for good reason. He he's. <laughs> I don't see them as natural suit. They're not going to get Corey Seager, right? We can all agree on that. That's not going to happen. I don't think Carlos Correa was ever likely to be a, a Mariners player, just based on the you know the desire and need. I think to go to one of the you know the Yankees, the Dodgers, someplace like that. Mm-hmm. And so you know who's next? Well, I think Trevor Story has a lot of question marks after playing in Colorado, and now he's got an elbow issue, etc. And and Javi Baez is all question marks. And actually, it was interesting reading on ESPN some of the fear that because he's such a free swinger, which, by the way, does not fit the control of the zone thing, mm-hmm. that once that bat slows down a little, he could be a disaster at some point in his career. Nobody wants to be stuck holding the bag. Yes. So who do you look at? Well, 31-year-old Marcus Simeon might end up being your best bet, especially as he's a West Coast guy and you know him in your division. And so I'm not at all surprised to see the Mariners connected to him immediately. I think it's
14: great. Can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. Do you want to get this done before any CBA talk? Yeah. Yeah, but only because I'm,
3: um, you know, I just like getting things done, yeah. like only because I don't want to think about it and worry about it for a long time. I don't I don't know how that will work. But, yeah, I think there is an element and fear that there will be some sort of floor initiated, which all of a sudden will flood the market. And then how quickly can this get done? I mean, it could get done very quickly. I don't know. I it mean, it could get it, done by the time this posts. Like I don't DJ. know about that, but I mean, it could in theory yeah. get done at the GM meeting. Certainly it could get done by Thanksgiving. I mean we've well, seen the rumblings before. to
14: even hear rumblings that you know he likes the west coast and and you know he's comfortable out there because I think in these circumstances for a player of his ilk and coming off of the the year that he you know has had here recently Usually they don't want to pigeonhole anything, right? A player's agent's going to say, don't you say anything, and you let me have the entire market. I don't want you to say you like the West Coast. I don't want you to limit yourself to any of that. I don't want those teams to think that you want the West Coast. You let me do my job. And is it Scott Boris that's his agent? Yep. Yeah. So you just be quiet. (laughs) You let Scott Boris lead because I'm the man, and I will get you your money. So the fact that we've even heard some rumblings – that a West Coast guy is familiar with the West and wants to stay out West, I think is a very, very big positive. Yeah, I
3: would tend to agree with and that. And if you got
14: to overpay a little bit, you overpay a little bit. Yeah,
3: I mean, who cares? You have so much money right now available just to get back to where you were to get to even you know middle of the pack in the in, in baseball. So, yeah, I, I think that's, a, to me, that's the first thing you get done. And then you start figuring out how are you going to handle third base? What do you like in center field as you know, sort of a stopgap and all the starting pitching that is necessary as well We could turn this thing in a hurry, right? I mean, like whether it's Chris Bryant or one of the trade options. And we talked about Matt Chapman last week, right? We've talked about uh, Jose Ramirez. There's three excellent third base
14: options. What do you want to do? You have no concern, right, that the timing of this you want to get this done first. You don't have a concern of what that would look like to Hanniger or what that would look like to JP or, or, or are those guys both, you know, priorities equally to, to try to get something done. With well, them. you don't need to
3: get anything done with JP. You have forever. So he he's not a concern in any way in terms of a an extension. He I don't even think he started arbitration. Year. He just I think starts he did this year. Next year, right? Yeah, I, think- I mean I think you still have 3 years left with JP Crawford. So I don't that is not a concern. Okay. Which with Ms., with Mitch Haniger? Yes, but don't you think going out and signing somebody like that is a help. sign it should help mm-hmm. you with Hanniger rather than the opposite? Yes. He's the one who said I want to be here and I want to go do this but go sign the players and go make this run. Like that seems like the way to do it.
0: A prescient observation from Heward on the podcast Wednesday, as on Friday, Jeff Passon with the early morning tweet that perhaps we could see big names sign before December 1. Jake and Stacy broke it down.
8: From the uh, GM meetings. Of MLB that are occurring right now. We'll start with this one from Jeff Passen. So there are a couple I love names. rumblings. I love rumblings too. There are a couple names we've all talked about in terms of our own personal wish lists for mariner signings and free agency. Marcus Simeon is maybe the top one, though lots of people want Corey Seeger, maybe Carlos Correa, if you want to potentially move JP around. Um I know that Chris Bryant has been on some people's list. We've got him in some uh, reports here, too. Uh, Justin Verlander's been out there. He's not included here, but he's been another name. So I'll start with this one. ESPN's Jeff Passan reports the markets for Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon have accelerated to the point where they could sign with the team before the expected December 1st lockout. As a reminder, Oof. CBA negotiation going to be happening here. I think a lockout is anticipated for at least some amount of time. Uh, and so a lot of people are thinking there could be just a pause with free agency, where maybe teams aren't making any significant moves for for a couple months here, maybe they wait that out, but it looks like there could be a chance that some of the top guys, we're talking the top shortstops with Correa, not mentioned here, but among the top guys are those shortstops, Correa, Corey Seager, uh, and then here, Marcus Simeon included, that they could be off the market before that lockout happens.
6: Yeah, I I would love to be able to have this done early, to be quite honest with you. If the Mariners were able to pull off this Signing of Marcus Simeon, wouldn't that just be a huge win for the Mariners and Jerry DePoto in terms of what they're trying to establish in terms of every other conversation that they walk into um, in trying to recruit other free agents? I mean, I, I just think it would be such a coup for them to be able to pull this off and to be able to land Marcus Simeon and the one thing that i want to hear is i want to hear how aggressive the mariners are going to be to make that happen like that's the next step okay if that's where the market is leaning towards mm-hmm. and things are heating up and it looks like there could be a deal that gets done for both of those teams cuz there's teams out there i mean i'm reading into it that the teams are out there willing to spend the money and lock this thing up and say all right whatever dollar amount you're you're out you're you're asking there uh what is it scott boris uh
9: yeah, the super agent.
6: Yeah, the super agent who just is just constantly representing guys and getting them overpaid or big contracts. All right, Scott Boris, whatever you're putting out there, we'll match it. Or at least we'll get pretty darn close to it to the point where you where you don't feel like you need to drag this thing on. That I am perfectly fine with. I mean, d- does this make you uneasy to know that there are that many other teams that are right there in the hunt or in that conversation? No,
8: because I would have anticipated that. These are the top guys that are going to be out there. I'm anticipating that many teams are pushing for Simeon, pushing for Correa, pushing for Seager, and I'm already ruling the Mariners out for Seager. But, I mean, the Mariners, if they want to be big spenders, they're competing with a lot of other guys this time around.
6: Right. Yeah, they are. I mean, they are competing big time, and that is where we're going to see very quickly the resolve of – this organization with the Mariners and with Jerry DiPoto and everything that they've talked and they've preached about how aggressive they're going to be and they're willing to expand payroll. Okay, to what degree? How aggressive are you really going to get in order to improve and upgrade this roster? And that is what we're all waiting on. We're All right, you've got me to this point. I I am believing based off of what you said and based off of the rebuilding aspect of the way you've gone about this that you are going to follow through on what you have said but at the same time, Stacey, you can't forget the past yeah. and what this organization has also done and has burned you know, the fans in the past to the point where, okay, we still need to see the actions follow up, the words and what you're saying yes. here.
9: We heard earlier this week from Kylie McDaniel of ESPN, one of their baseball insiders, kind of say that the second wave of free agency guys like Marcus Stroman, Carlos Rodon... Those could be areas where the Mariners pounce in free agency and kind of round out the roster. But how important is it going to be for the Mariners to strike early in free agency to maybe send a message out there that says, hey, we mean what we're doing or we mean what we say when we're going to spend here. Look at what we just added, whether it be through free agency or maybe
8: a trade. I think the most most important thing clearly is to be able to get their guy. If their guy is Marcus Simeon, let's say hypothetically they're like, we want this to be our top target. We don't want to move JP. Someone texted in on the Mac and Jack's text line. What about JP? Jerry Depoto loves JP. He's made it clear he wants to keep him at shortstop. So that's why everyone's kind of looking at Marcus Simeon as being the top of that group to be targeted by Seattle instead because he has a bit more versatility there to go to second. Um, if that's your guy, then it's less about timing and more of like get it done. Mm -hmm. don't don't be hesitant about when you're going to get it done like you're going to have to be aggressive in free agency in a way you haven't been in many years so I don't know that I'm reading into them not getting if if the names being thrown around were Corey Seager and Carlos Correa and the Mariners maybe like weren't not that they weren't in on it but didn't get anything done I'd be like okay but I feel like Marcus Simeon is a name they've got to be more open to 100%,
6: So 100%.
8: Curtis, that was a roundabout way, and it sounds like a cop-out answer to your question, but that is to say, like I care less about them getting something done early for the sake of proving they're aggressive and more about them getting done when it's clear there's a fit for them.
6: This is the very best fit for them. In terms of what they want to do and how they want to go about this, Marcus Simeon, to me, is the best fit out of anybody in this market. And then from there, you can start to piecemeal how you round out your roster? How you you know figure out the outfield? How you figure out third base? What you need to do from that point forward? But if you make the middle of your infield with J.P. Crawford and Marcus Simeon over the next few years, that is an exciting uh, proposition. Then you get aggressive at third base, either via trade or or uh, getting yourself back into the market with another name that we had news of, where you know the MLB Network interviewed the Athletics Andrew uh, Baggerly. And, you know, he's talking about how the Giants aren't likely to bring Chris Bryant back.
8: Yeah, I was going to jump. Do you want me to introduce that one? I, jump, I mean, to that
6: one. yeah, let's let's All go right. to that.
8: Uh, so Andrew Baggerly uh, on MLB Network says Chris Bryant is unlikely to come back to San Francisco. He says the Giants weren't very impressed. This uh, from uh, Greg Zumak uh, weren't very impressed with Chris Bryant, especially defensively at third center and right field. He also notes the swing won't age well.
6: See this one is weird to me when you hear that uh, I mean i've we've heard the criticism of him and and this same point about his swing with Chicago, and now you're hearing it with the Giants. I mean, the guy's still producing. I, Curtis, is there something that I, like I'm inherently missing on this situation i I just I'm not quite understanding why. People are looking at Chris Bryant like the boogeyman here.
9: Yeah, yeah, it is, it is very confusing. And maybe it goes back to just the incredible start he got off to in his career where he was putting up record numbers and won MVP his second year in the league and hasn't exactly reached that level ever since. But that's not to say that he's a bad player. He's still a really good player and has tremendous value, and is only going to turn thirty years I old was in say, January. Twenty
8: nine. The way they're talking about him is like he's thirty four. So,
6: 35. so is that what it is? Is that okay? Everybody thought that this guy was going to be a super duper star in Major League Baseball. That's what he was touted to be. That's what he was to start out with, and now he's fallen to being. What would you put him, a fringe all-star player, an all-star player? And he player? made the all-star team last year. Okay, so he's an all-star. So maybe he's not the very best player in baseball. Maybe you don't say he's a top-five player in baseball. And I guess the caution here would be don't pay him like he's a top-five player in baseball when he's not, right? But do you, don't you get the sense that that's kind of how the market's going to dictate this thing anyways? I, I, that's that's how I view this, and that's why my optimism about Chris Bryant continues to, to go higher and higher that I don't necessarily believe you're going to have to pay him like one of the very best free agents in baseball you're going to have to pay him but maybe not as big a money that you would have to fork out for some of these
5: shortstops
0: and finally Wyman and Bob close out the week with a conversation with Ryan Divish fresh off his trip to the GM meetings
5: what do you walk away from there? I mean, do you get a sense of what, hey, this is what the Rangers are looking to do or, hey, this is what the A's are talking about doing? Do, is there something you glean from being around those people that you wouldn't otherwise from just, I don't know, reading MLB.com or talking to your sources? Yeah, I
15: mean, the first thing was kind of the, the I would say um, I would just kind of say the cynicism that we know there that there's going to be a work stoppage. Mm -hmm. there'll probably be a lockout on, on December 2nd. And with that lockout means a, um, a, a, a transactional freeze. No, no transactions or trades or signings can be made if there's a lockout. So, I mean, that was kind of that. I mean, there was also, you know, the lockout didn't sound great, but it also means that they'll cancel the winter meetings in Orlando, which everybody's excited about because nobody wants to go there. But now I I think that's the biggest thing is like, there's going to be a stoppage and, on December second and these two sides are far away and you know it could it could last all the way up into maybe February first or second or third and so then you know there could be just chaotic run of free agent signings at the end of February and you know that's one thing and so you know I know Jeff Passan reported today that maybe maybe Marcus Simeon and, and Corey Seeger do sign before december 1st i think a lot of the gms would like to do that but carlos correa and and trevor story and some of those guys may wait and that's in, that's big because the mariners you know they want one of those infielders and how you know you need one or two of them to sign so the market can get established and you kind of get that domino effect so if none of those infielders sign then the mariners are kind of waiting to see i don't know that they're going to be in on carlos correa it just seems like he wants too many years and 300 million, and I don't know if the Mariners are willing to do that. They already said down there that J.P. Crawford is their shortstop. While Correa did say in spring that he moved to third base, all indications are he wants to stay at shortstop. And I, you know, if you look at New York or Los Angeles as likely destinations. It, you know, Corey Seeger, probably not a fit for the Mariners either. Um, Marcus Simeon, obviously they like him. They talked to Scott Boris about him and Chris Bryant. Obviously, Seeger there too. Um, it, but, you know, they're going to have to wait it out a little bit to see what happens. They talk with the agents of Trevor Story, and, and those guys all fit. And then also kind of the revelation out of there was that, you know, the Oakland A's are dumping everybody. Everybody's gone. And are they willing to trade anybody? And, I mean, if you're the Mariners and you have an opening at third base, Matt Chapman sounds pretty dang good there if you don't have to give up the world for him.
5: Yeah, and you just hit on what I was going to ask you about because I saw you retweet passing, and, and and Marcus Simeon seems to be the most prominent name we've heard attached to the Mariners over and over as far as a wish list goes. But you talked about them wanting to see how the market was going to be set. So do you? it feels like they're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. Like, all right, do we, do we rush to sign him before the lockout on December 2nd or do we take the chance that he doesn't sign and then we can see some of these other players get signed in February and that sets the market? What do you? I mean, do you see them being that aggressive to where they would try to get a deal done before the lockout?
15: I mean, if, if, if Simeon is willing to do that, then, yeah, I think they tried. What they're going to run into is that the San Francisco Giants, I think, really like Marcus Simeon. He's from the Bay Area. So if all money is equal, then maybe Marcus Simeon chooses – the Giants to go back home, or even if the Mariners might have a little bit more money per year, maybe he wants to go back home and be closer to his family and play there. Maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe he wants to come here and play next to JP Crawford. I think that's what they're going to run into, you know, with the competition. I mean, the Mariners understand they kind of, Jerry Poto is, he makes it kind of clear where his price points are, what the years they're willing to give is there is obviously some wiggle room. But he's not. it's not going to get down to, like, an auction situation where, like, you know, the Giants go here, the Mariners go here. It just keeps going and going. At some point, you know, they base it off of what they have to work with and how they're trying to build their team. And if they can't get there, then they can't get there because I don't think that they want to do something crazy like give Simeon six years and, you know, give him a massive amount of deal because he is still, like, I think 31 years old. So, you know, they're they he's the best fit but they can't do something that's going to really hinder them moving forward. they got plenty of money, but, again, like, years and overall deals matter. I, I think they're going to be more willing to go shorter years commitment but maybe a higher yearly salary on some of these guys. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's smart to give anybody an eight-year contract. I just think those are bad deals. Five, five, five or six should be your max. So I think that's what they'll do. I think they like Simeon a lot. I think he's the easiest fit for them. Fits what they want. You know, but if they can't get him, maybe they go to Trevor Story, or maybe they look at, you know, they have to go to the trade route. I mean, that's the one thing, you know, I, and I I was listening to your, your interview with JT, you know, the, the Brian Reynolds thing. I mean, they, they called at the deadline to, about Brian Reynolds. They called last year about Brian, Brian Reynolds. He <laughs> The Pirates said at the beginning that the the starting point for any any possible deal would be Julio Rodriguez and said, thanks see you later. <laughs> so now maybe that changes. That maybe that changes for the Pirates now because if the Twins start shopping Byron Buxton, uh, you know then maybe that's the then it changes. Maybe the math changes. Maybe you only have to give up Noel V. Marte to get to, you know no L V Marte and a pitcher to get Brian Reynolds, who's he's a perfect fit for them. He's twenty five. He's still got beers left. He's athletic. He fits every one of their needs, and he addresses a center field issue that they just can't address right now because they don't know about the health of Kyle Lewis.
12: So, Divis, you, you talk about, like, uh, for Simeon being from the Bay Area or, you know, Michael Conforto who went to, to Redmond. Mm-hmm. Without that, though, uh, how popular is this franchise? I mean, how do how do players just in general, if it if it doesn't have anything to do with like going back home and stuff like that, where do the the Mariners sort of rank? Do you think with free agents as far as a, a desirable destination?
15: That's a good question. I mean, I think like the city of Seattle, people like you know players love the city of Seattle. They like. You know, the restaurants we just saw, Mark Canna was here having rabbit stew and stuff. And they, <laughs> like, they like Seattle. You know, you like the weather. You like all the stuff. You love the ballpark. And it's not like the hitter's wasteland that it used to be. So, yeah, they, they like it here. But, you know, the one thing is, is you know, the player can look at it and say, well, how close really are they to winning at all? How close are they to a World Series contender? Well, the Giants just won 106 games last year, and granted, they're losing most of their pitching staff, but they're right there. You know, are the Mariners right there? And so that's part of it. And you know, there there is no legitimate tradition of postseason success or consistency to get there. That's another thing that weighs on you. You know, like if you want it, do you want to go back? Do you want to go to a team and then not be certain if you're going to make the postseason? You know, it that's that's another aspect as well that I think has to be addressed but you know a lot of times it is the right dollar figure and the right situation and you know there are other factors like being from the bay area or whatever like that that can mitigate into it but if you give the best possible offer usually you get the guy signed it's just a matter of whether or not that offer you know crushes your budget or you know you're bidding against yourself or you do something crazy and i I think jerry depoto isn't gonna do that he's not gonna panic if stuff doesn't work his way initially. He'll just try and find a way to make it work. Maybe that's through the trade market.
5: It's funny. I saw Dan O'Dowd on MLB Network this morning and they were talking about different cities and they started talking about the Mariners and who they may be targeting and he he was saying he still thinks Seattle's a tough sell, not because of their lack of uh, success in the postseason, but he's saying just their location. Their, 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 it's tough on players. It's tough on their families more specifically and I'm thinking okay, I yeah I get it if you're from the East Coast, yeah, it's far away, but in terms of travel, I mean the way these guys travel anymore is that is that really still true that man i gotta I gotta fly all the way from Seattle to Texas or all the way from Seattle to wherever they're playing is that is that still a thing?
15: yeah, it is still, I mean especially though, but you're right, like some of these guys that live in Florida and they don't want to have their families with them all the time, you know that is an issue. You know, I did it. it, They just don't like it. And there are guys on the West coast that don't want to go to the East coast, you know, because they have their families on the West coast. Uh, It is an issue. I mean, if you think about it, Oakland is the shortest flight that Seattle makes at about two hours. Mm. And they have to go to Texas at least four to four or five times at four and a half, plus all your East coast stuff. You know, like when you're in the central when you're the American League central you don't have a and you 're flying for division games you don't have a flight longer than two hours yeah. you know you can get there quick so it's some even like similar to like um, Connor Dawson the uh, one of their minor league hitting coordinators that just took a job with the Brewers. The Mariners were trying to offer him essentially the same job, but like this is a chance he lives in the Midwest you know you're in Milwaukee when you go to chicago when you go to cincy he's an hour from home all the time he can see his family he can run home every so often and i think that does make a difference in that regard the location matters the time zone change matters i mean it 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 does
12: yeah i i agree because going from seattle to denver i mean denver's right in the middle i mean we never left two days early so little things like that definitely definitely matter uh if you were listening to jp as you said you were uh yesterday he was saying that uh, Evan White is not part of it in his mind, anyway. Going forward, uh, since the last time we talked, have you have you uh, come to any uh, new conclusions about you know first base? As far as uh, you leave Ty France there, do you move him? What do you think?
15: No, I think they're going. You know, well, down there, Jerry said that Ty France is going to be the opening day first baseman, but the the job is his based on what he did this year. I think. From a developmental standpoint, Evan White has played in about 58 games over two seasons at the MLB level, and he struggled in 85% of them. I think he's at Tacoma to start the opening day of the Rainier season. He's probably playing first base. I mean, I know Jerry mentioned that he's going to play some left field, and maybe they try and move him to center field. You know, once he once did that when he was playing with Team USA, but, you know, he's also older, about 30 pounds heavier of muscle and bulk that he put on. Um, to play first base and coming off of a major hip surgery so i don't know that maybe he ran like he used to so we'll see him out in the outfield they want that versatility but i think in the best interest of evan and ultimately the best interest of the mariners you get him to tacoma and have him play triple a games and have him work on those swing changes and have him trying to figure out what was wrong offensively in the in the previous two years, before you ever think about putting on like, your big league roster in that way, I mean, like the roster that the Mariners have, if they go get the guys, if they go get two impact bats, if they sign another pitcher or two, you know, if they make a trade or something like that, the roster situation is going to get tight. You know, they like the the Japanese outfielder Seiya Suzuki. If they go get him, you know, maybe Jake Fraley is gone or something like that. So I, I think. It's not a bad thing to have an overabundance of talent, to have somebody like Evan White or even Justice Sheffield or Justin Dunn pitching in Tacoma because you want them playing regularly and performing regularly. So, I, you know, at this point there's, uh, well, they say no scholarships anymore. Everybody's got to earn it.
5: <laughs> hey, I, I saw you tweet about, you know, what Jerry said uh, as it pertains to the catching group and that they're going to essentially bring back the entire group, which I – as I said yesterday, I thought it was really cute they added Torrens in that group because I think he's terrible behind the plate. I don't consider him a catcher. But what what do you think of that? You you also put out a list of who's available, and it wasn't that attractive. So if they were going to do something, it would it'd have to be via trade. But are you comfortable going into the season with the same crew? I mean, Cal Raleigh, I, I didn't – certainly at the plate, it was brutal. Behind the plate, I thought he was okay. I didn't think he was great. Same with Murphy – um jose godoy and then torrens i don't ever want to see him in catcher's gear again if, if it's not an emergency so it doesn't feel like a great situation back there to me am i am i overstating that or do you feel like that's something that needs to be addressed
15: oh no it's not great by any means but that list of free agents i look at that free agent list the way jerry depota looked at me sitting in that seat in the first class yeah like, <laughs> you know i mean i mean if young gomes, gomes, gomes is a gomes nice is He's 34 years old, you know, and it's an all-or-nothing bat. He plays pretty good defense. You know, do you really want to waste budget dollars on Jan Gomes? Because if he signs as a free agent somewhere and that team's terrible, he's going to be available at the deadline for a a low-level prospect. I mean, he was this year. So I I think they look at that catching market and say, well, there's nothing great on the free agent market that we like. It doesn't make us measurably better, you know, in terms of production based on what we would have to pay for costs. So, why do that? You know, like if, if they really, if they're a contending team and catcher is as bad as it was last year in the first half of the season, then they'll just go out a catcher. I mean, there are, you know, kind of catchers available um, at the deadline. That's my guess is what they'll do. They're, it's just not a priority to fix right now. It's kind of like the center field spot. I don't, I think we, and Jerry admitted, like he doesn't want to play Jared Kelnick every day out there but they don't have any options because they don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Lewis. So I don't think he's going to play center field more than once a week, if that, but you know, right now, if you look at the market, it's Starling Marte and it's nobody else is a true center fielder. So maybe they have to readjust and find that guy on the trade market or just try and piece it together for now and see if they can make it work until something happens or they make decisions on other players because like the, the catching, yeah, it's awful. And the only reason I think Terence catches the next year if if any significance, is if they get into a roster crunch where they can't carry all three. Because, like, Luis Teren's had a nice season hitting as a DH, but, I mean, like, if they have to use the DH next year to keep Kyle Lewis healthy, I think Kyle Lewis still gives you a more – gives you more potential for success than Luis Teren does.
12: All right, Davis, real quick, we got to get to break here, but uh, does Scott Service win AL Manager of the Year?
15: Uh, Probably not. I think he should, just based on what he had, is what the other teams had. But uh, maybe Dusty gets a sentimental vote or something like that.
5: Lame. That'd be lame. lame.
0: Wyman and Bob end the week on the same note they started on, less than happy about the lack of recognition for Mariners in the awards. Perhaps we'll hear something different when the Manager of the Year is announced next week. One other note, and I hate to end it on this, but Ryan mentioned a fear that I brought up earlier in the week on the podcast, Marcus Simeon being drawn to the Giants. It might turn out they are the biggest competition for the Mariners in signing him. Regardless, there's got to be a plan B, C, and D, and this is where their positional flexibility will be huge, and as much as they would like to avoid it, their prospect capital just might come in handy. We'll keep our eyes and ears open. We're going to do this again next week, and who knows, perhaps we'll be talking about a new Mariner. Until then, stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com for all the latest.